Are you free yet? You heard me. Are you free? Have you experienced that true freedom that you've longed for? Because if not, I'm here to set you free. Free from what, you ask? Well, if you save with Conrad, we can free you from some mortgage payments. But I'm not here to pitch that, no. You get that message loud and clear, daily for that matter. I'm here to discuss freeing your tired ears from all the ads throughout your favorite Conrad Thompson-hosted podcast over at adfreeshows.com. Yes, free to listen to Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard, JR, and the rest of the team without listening to one single ad. Oh yeah, and while you're experiencing that freedom, we decided to give it to you as soon as they stop recording. That's right, both early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com. And not only that, we have several tier options that you can sign up for today and be part of some of the biggest summer blockbuster events and experiences. So join today and live your best life ad-free over at adfreeshows.com. Flap nut, flap nut. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, your friend and mine, J-E-F-F, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Conrad, how we doing in the summer of No Worries 2? Man, I, I, I went around for the summer of No Worries 1, but this summer of No Worries 2 is kind of hitting for me. <laughs> I'm telling you, you've had a big uh, lordy lordy, Connie's 40. Uh, you've been traveling. I've been traveling. I've been, uh, doing lots of, uh, family stuff and vacation like you and podcast and got a couple of, uh, side projects that might turn into main projects and you've been busy and, uh, life's good. My friend life is good. Yeah. I'm glad to be home. Uh, I don't have any travel now for like, uh, six weeks, I guess, seven weeks. So I'm pretty excited about that. Wow. That's, uh, I guess, um, well, we're doing podcast movement. Is that supposed to be announced yet? Yeah, but that, that that's not really travel for me. That's, that's what I'm saying is that's, that, that's all my, that, that may be, you, you have to leave the Huntsville city limits in a month. Uh, sure. yeah. Okay. Uh, I do have to leave the city limits, but I just meant like, you know, I I'm, I'm, I've grown weary of plane travel. It's not my favorite thing anymore. I didn't used to mind it. Cause I was on like three planes a week for years and years and years, but during the pandemic, I went so long without it. And then I was fortunate enough to, uh, be able to fly private a couple of times. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that the old way ever again. I'm spoiled. <laughs> so now every time I have to get on a plane, I'm like, oh, I hate this. Oh, poor guy. I know, man. I think I might just become a hermit. I might just, uh, I might just hold up here at the house and hey, if you want to see me come to me, cause I ain't going nowhere. I'm, I'm becoming Jim Cornette at 40 years old. But poor Conrad, you got to stay in the Conradison all the time. Bless your heart. It's just Bless terrible. It's just terrible. Well, as the saying goes, uh, you got to uh, go back to work to get some rest. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly right. But I'm excited because, uh, what's that old cliche? If you enjoy your work, you'll never work a job in your life or whatever. I'm doing that today. Cause we're talking about old wrestling and, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we've had a lot of fun here on the show and I don't know if you saw what I saw, but I got great feedback about your version of events from last week's episode, where we talked about Hulk screwing Hulk at bash at the beach, 2000. 
what a mess all these years later, people enjoyed hearing your take. What was the feedback you saw? You know, um, as you have clearly stated specifically over the last, I don't know, 90, 120 days is that, Hey Jeff, there's these stories have been talked about to death and you're right on that, but nobody's heard your side or your thoughts or what you were thinking at that time. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the quote unquote, uh, here I go again with uh, my, <laughs> but the 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 night I held Vince up that episode and uh, j- just those, but this bash at the beach was one of those that I, I got. I actually got a cu- couple of phone calls. I always get some DMs or texts or like, hey, I listened, uh, enjoyed it, or, or something like that. But uh, that night was crazy. It was such a microcosm of everything right and wrong, uh, with WCW in those, uh, last 18 or 24 months. So it was, uh, it's been, it, again, it's, it's been a lot of fun to hear the feedback. Uh, I, I think this show that we're going to do today, we'll, we'll get like, Oh, that's what that title meant. How the Titan saved TNA we'll get there. But, uh, yeah, the feedback. And, and I also got several, um, of those, God, Jeff, I hated your guts, but Oh, that story made sense now. Now, now, now you made a little bit more to bash at the beach. Now I understand it. I'm curious. You teased it. What, uh, what type of calls did you get? Who called about the, the whole bash at the beach debacle? Uh, well, the, the, the low hanging fruit, uh, Dave Penzer <laughs> family member. Um, I I'll, I'll reveal his name cause he doesn't mind it. Cause I think he actually put it out on Twitter. Um, uh, so, some talent. Um, but no, P- Penzer was like, Hey, I knew, but I didn't know, but I knew Booker was winning. And I'm like, I still don't think a lot of this adds up because what if, what if, I wouldn't have gone along. Mm. Uh, I mean, th- there were so many what ifs going into it. Um, I think a lot of people uh, understand uh, more about Hawk's Claws of, as far as creative control go- goes, but it also opened up so many more questions that, like, what does that clause actually mean in a contract? Yes, it, c- it controls what, what goes on in his matches, but how far reaching does that go? Mm. Um, you know, like, Okay, I, I, I'm not so so if he wanted to have a match with anybody at any time, could, could he have done that? Mm. So it opens up a lot of questions and it also goes into how uh, Vince McMahon has always dealt with it over the years. And, you know, that dark side about warrior walking through the curtain and all that, you know, ultimately the, the creative control clauses just don't work out in the end. And I understand it. From both sides, I, I really do. I, I completely understand Hulk wanting that in there, but but in the end, it's the vision. Uh, it, it's it's the buck stops with one individual, and once you add just one more to that, even two people, you, you know, it's hard for a lot of folks to decide on what kind of pizza they want, let alone a career direction. So or a company vision or a company direction. So um, yeah, but Penzer, what uh, was the funniest of the calls? I'll say that. Well, I'm excited about it. By the way, Dave Penzer's uh, sitting ringside with Dave Penzer is available now at adfreeshows.com. Let's, uh, let's jump into it. How the Tennessee Titans saved TNA. I know it doesn't make any sense, but bear with us. Let's set the stage. You're, uh, you're coming off that reeling news regarding in demand and cash flow. If you haven't already go back and check out the archives. We're doing a great job sort of documenting TNA from the very beginning. But a few weeks in, now that you're settled into Nashville, 
We got our feet underneath us. Things are normalizing a little bit, but also too, we didn't sell quite as many as we hoped. Of course, the whole Jay Hassman story is the precursor to this one, but the show ends and you have to turn around in one week and have now your, your fourth show from Nashville. And there's some big news going on between that third and fourth show in the form of your old pal, Vince Russo. He's officially being hired and brought in to write the shows. Tell us how this came to be from the best of your recollection. I was curious, uh, just knowing, uh, what the title of this episode is and, and how, you know, what's your notes and where you were taking the direction. And, um, uh, and this obviously refreshed my memory that, uh, he was brought in to write the show, um, that, you know, he was going to be a collaborative of, of the show, M- maybe the lead writer. Obviously, my father wasn't a lead writer uh, as far as writers goes, maybe Booker, not writer. Uh, and then, you know, we had whoa, whoa, time out. Explain the difference. A lot of people are going to hear that and think those words are interchangeable. You know, different or you have a different philosophy. Let's hear it. Oh, OK, uh, man. Stop down early. So you OK, um, I'm putting the ball. I mean, I'm, I'm going to put this one on you. This is sidebar number one. Okay, good. This one's one for me. Got it. (laughs) No, a booker, someone who uh, a matchmaker. I like uh, because I've been asked this on radio interviews. Hey, what is a booker? They book the matches or they're the matchmaker that that literally take a card and and say uh, wrestler A versus wrestler B made event all the way down to opening match. Uh, A writer is is a script writer, truly the flow of a television show uh, of and, and, you know, nowadays writers work right word for word uh, of, of promos and pre-tapes and ins and outs and copy for announcers and complete direction. So over the years um, in the seventies, there were bookers that would basically format a TV show. And then in the eighties, it began to change. And then the nineties, it drastically changed. And then the evolution of uh, fast forward all these years later, uh, it, it truly is uh, almost um Minute by minute, it's it's scripted. Uh, so, but we're we're talking 2001, and I'm under the belief that, um, you know, I'm not a uh, I'm not opposed to having writers attached to the show, uh, but they are I like to say stay in bullet point fashion, not word by word. Uh, I think there's a huge difference there, um, even for laying out matches. Don't lay out um, move for move or mat in each match. So, uh, did that. Uh, did I do it justice for you, Conrad? Yes, you did. So let's get back to the story. You're saying your dad, you didn't feel like could be a writer. He could be a booker and say, this fellow should have a match with that fellow, but maybe not a lead writer in today's WWE version of professional wrestling that you're competing with. Um, why did you feel like it was necessary to, uh, to have a Vince Russo? Going back to the total nonstop, a total nonstop action mentality. The NWA is traditional wrestling, um, heavyweights and tags, and 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 truly uh, a, a very solid in-ring product. But also knowing that we need to um, get outside the box, and and uh, you know we can have traditional characters, but also let's have a uh, Mortimer plum tree or, you know, that's a, maybe a good example or maybe a bad example or the flying Elvises, mm. if you will. Uh, and, and Vince uh, through the attitude era, love him or hate him. He had a lot of success. Uh, but when I think back to those days, especially as they sit here in 2021, you know, in the, in the attitude era, there was Vince Russo and Ed Farrar. 
that, that was the two writers. There were two writers uh, of Monday Night Raw. And, and I just think when you add a team of 10 to 12, it really, per show, it, it, it really, I don't want to say waters down, but each, each individual writer and over the last couple of years, uh, the one-on-one relationships I've, I, I, I got to have with, with, with different writers, just such an incredible talent pool. But man, it is uh, it makes for a confusing uh, vegetable soup at, at times. But back on point, 2001, uh, the, you know, Jeremy Borash wore a lot of hats and, and I think he's good at character development. And, and writing uh, Bill Banks, uh, I don't Bill was I don't think he was on board yet at this time. But anyway, Vince and, and Ed Farrar was our color commentator, so Vince was going to be the, the sole writer uh, of of the, uh, the the two hour total nonstop action. Well, hang on now. You just said Borash could write some stuff, and Ed Farrar was doing commentary, but then you landed on Vince was going to be the sole writer. So you didn't want you did. Good, good clarification. That was, everybody wore a lot of hats at the end of the day. It was on my shoulders, no matter how you slice it, dice it. I ultimately had the buck stop with me. Uh, so I, I wanted one guy that that was there. I mean, hell in those early days, Bob Ryder contributed ideas and thoughts and, 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 and different. So, so the idea being a lot of other guys wore a lot of other hats, but you needed one guy that was completely dedicated to that. And that was going to be Vince Russo. Correct. And, and could spend the amount of time that it takes outside of those two hours, lots of phone calls, lots of discussions, lots of, and I'll just say that, uh, it, it takes a lot of, uh, rolling up your sleeves and, and really getting down. I'm a big believer and I carried this through and to this day of, of really getting in the mindset of the talent and understanding what they like and don't like and how they can make it better or maybe better said how they can make it more their own, uh, We'll give them the guide post, but, but ultimately, uh, we all got to get in the end zone, but you can get there multiple ways. You know, Conrad CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel stress, anxiety, pain, and feels. Well, it's a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help to keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free It's actually delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, sleeplessness. All you have to do is place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important. And you know what? Everyone's dose is different. In fact, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. Joining the Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So guys, it's time to take action. Start feeling better with Feels today. Become a member by going to feels.com slash myworld and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels. That's F E A L S dot com slash my world to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Again, that's feels F E A L S dot com slash my world. Talk to me a little bit about, um, how your dad came around to agree with you here. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm jumping to that conclusion. Y'all were probably making a lot of these decisions together. And he expressed in his book several times, how uneasy he was with 
for lack of a better word, Vince, Vince Russo's style. And now you're going to have them working together. How are you navigating that as sort of the monkey in the middle? Um, like he taught me, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and putting words in other people's mouth or, 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 or look, hindsight's 2020, but, but the reality of the fact was, Hey, Hey dad, you do what you do. Good. I'm going to do what I do. Good. And let Vince do what he does. Good. And at the end of the day, we, we hope we score a touchdown. Um, you know, as far as, uh, this is 20 years ago. Uh, so Vince was younger and, and had just come off a red hot run that that's undeniable. Uh, and well, hang on now, hang on, hang on. Here we go. He was red hot when he was in the WWF, but you considered his booking in WCW to be red hot. No, I didn't say that. Did I? You said he's coming right off of a red hot run. No, he had cooled way the fuck down. Oh, oh, okay. So, so, (laughs) so all of a sudden, all of Vince Russo's crappy writing. Well, hang on now. Hang on now, Jeff. Are you really going to act like people don't believe that quote unquote, you're only as good as your last match. Now I'm not saying overall, but I'm saying in sales, people aren't talking. Don't come to me and brag about, I won the sales award in 2013. Well, some bitch, what you've been doing the last eight years. (laughs) I'd love to hire the 2013 version of you. (laughs) No. Okay. So he had come off, um, some wins and losses, but he had been in the ball game of writing and I had lived the WCW and look, Vince made some wacky stuff. Uh, but, but I mean, in that cesspool of, of, of WCW creative man, how many hands were in that? And yes, Times Vince was the lead horse, but at other times he wasn't. And uh, look, he brought a lot of it on himself, and I think he'll admit that to this day. So he he had been in the game of formatting and writing and scripting uh, two hour episodes, probably at that time. Uh, or you know, he probably had right up there with the most experience as the business had evolved. I'm not saying booking or matchmaking. I'm talking about a two hour show, uh, that had backstage and pre-tapes and everything that went along with that. Now we're not addressing the elephant in the room. When you're hiring Vince Russo, he technically is working with the world wrestling federation. Did you feel like this was a feather in your cap? Was that part of your thinking? I think that was game set match already. And I may be wrong, but I believe that quick one day honeymoon or three or four day honeymoon was over. Well, that what they settled on, according to your dad's book. And I believe even Russo is that he was going to be offered the position to work from home for like, I don't know, hundred grand a year, 150 grand a year. Yeah. More than what you guys are offering, or he could accept a little less. And again, the exact numbers escape me 20, 30 grand less, whatever it may be, but he could come to Nashville and actually be hands-on working with the product every week. And at the time he's living in Atlanta. Probably not really jumping at the chance to raise kids in Stanford if you can raise them in Atlanta. So he decides to do that. Uh, you're, you're, you're friendly with Vince at the time. Is he expressing, you know, Jeff, I really don't want to go back there, but they made a good offer. He accepts your less than deal, meaning you're, he's, he's taking less money to work with you. Talk me through that. And look, 
this is one of those instances that I feel like I got pretty good recall a lot of the times, but just hearing you say that, and I can't put my finger on anything, but it's almost like, uh, and, and I know kind of, you're going to come up with a great analogy here, but, but it's basically when you go to buy a car, you know, the, the, the guy has to go through a roundabout way. My gut tells me I didn't believe a word coming out of Vince's mouth that he really had an offer on the table. Cause if he had, he'd have been there. I felt like that door was shut and he was using it as a, as a negotiating tool and sure. Come on board. Uh, okay. You're going to take less. Great. I'm going to pat you on the back, but let's get to work. I, I, I feel like his WWF deal was so soured uh, by his uh, quick experience that he wasn't interested at all if we didn't. I mean, he just wasn't. Now, if we didn't have anything to offer, he might have taken it to feed his family. But but I don't. I feel like that that ship quickly sailed. Real quick, and then we'll move on. Uh, I do want to ask about the relationship with your dad and Russo, just in one more instance. I know you were sort of explaining to your dad, dad, you do what you do well, and I'll do what I do well, but that's almost the type of conversation you would have with an employee. He is a financially invested partner. Uh, and he's been doing this a long time and he's your dad. So I'm sure that's something he's going to work through, but I get the impression that your dad is also one of those guys who says, Hey, any sort of disagreements we're going to have, we're going to have them behind closed doors. When we're out here in public, even if it's just around the other staff, we're going to be a united front. Was that something you and your dad had that was just sort of unspoken where even if he disagreed, we're going to keep a brave face out here together and defend it. Well, Penny, boy, you talk about getting complicated and in a family dynamic and man, so much water under the bridge between me and my father, but we had those conversations probably before, during and after, but he's also the kind of guy that would say, all right, look, we made an agreement and it's 65, 35 or whatever, but you're, you're the ultimate. And he, cause he taught me that philosophy. He's a firm believer when Lawler booked, he had complete control uh, of the territory, even though my father was majority owner. And, and vice versa. So this is probably a, 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 an opportunity here for us to have the discussion. And he voiced his concerns and I heard him and they were the same concerns that I heard from, you know, day one. And, and also, you know, my father wasn't on the road when I was at the WWF and, and WCW, the good and the bad of my relationship with Vince and, and the up and down. But he ultimately said, okay, if this is what you think's best, I'll work with it. Um, and, and that's sort of, uh, look, I, I knew that he didn't agree, uh, with everything Vince. Hell, he didn't agree with everything that came out of my brain. Right. I, not even close. Uh, but, but we sort of said, all right, l- let's, let's put the best, uh, foot forward and, and make the best show we possibly can. And knowing not everybody's going to agree what you said. Uh, let's, uh, everybody get in the same boat and row in the same direction. Let's jump into it. Your dad wrote on the NWA TNA website, quote, I can tell you why I went after Vince Russo and was successful in bringing him in to be on our staff. Vince had a successful run in WWE. And that is a fact. I know the WCW situation better than most because of two factors. One, I tried to buy the company and therefore had the opportunity to see WCW somewhat from the inside. I turned down the job of booker slash writer on several occasions 
because I knew the company structure would not allow anyone to be successful. Two, JJ Dillon, who worked in management for WCW, now runs my construction company. And JJ and I have spent many hours discussing the fact that no one could have succeeded in WCW because of the structure of the company. <sighs> I appreciate that your dad, he's doing his best to defend his son's decision here, but it just doesn't feel like he's all the way on board, but Hey, God love dads, right? Conrad, I cannot wait for y'all to meet me and neither in that, in that you, because, um, and I just watched uh, a YouTube video on highly, highly successful people can turn onto the dime. They don't, it, they don't mind admitting they're wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all, all that whole mindset. I, gosh, but anyway, I, I watch one of those and I'm like, wow. And they said, I want to say it's Bill Gates that that had a very strong mentality. Like, hey, and I know Steve Jobs did uh, once you cut through. But anyway, uh, but my father, he had no problem going, okay, let's see. Here's what we got in front of us. Hassman's, you know, that situation. And here's this and here's that. What happens if Jeff's right? Or what happens if Vince's right? Uh, you know, uh, so I'm going to put my best foot forward. And look, how many times he did that over the years with his partnership with Lawler? He wouldn't agree with Lawler's booking. He'd say, nope, that's what Jerry wants to do. That's what we're doing. You know, we're seeing a lot of feedback on the podcast that people have started to come around on Jeff Jarrett. Maybe for whatever reason, they just didn't like Jeff when they saw him on TV. And I get that. But eventually, he wears you down and he decides, okay, I'll give it a shot. Bam. My world's your new favorite podcast. There's no denying Jeff Jarrett and there's no denying blue chew. It's time to come around guys. You've heard us talk about blue chew until we're blue in the face. And we're doing this because it's really working for our listeners. Folks, just like you are, uh, shall we say, turning the volume up at home. And if you're like me, it's been a hell of a year. You probably feel like you've aged like 12 years over the last 12 months. But it's time to turn back the clock in the bedroom. Snap out of it. Spring is here. Get sprung with Blue Chew. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of erectile dysfunction. And Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so there's no visits to the doctor. There's no awkward conversation. There's no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Now, the process is simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll get your prescription within a few days. But the best part, it's all online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. And if you don't like swallowing pills, there's no problem here, Bubba. How about this? Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. And Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, and they prepare and ship direct. So it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if it's faster, it's easier, it's cheaper, why would you do this? If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first free month. And we'd like to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. What are you waiting for? 
bluechew.com and the promo code is my world. Your dad wrote in his book that he produced the fourth show himself with Vince Russo, adding things here and there. And in the torch, it was reported that Russo and Ed Ferrara talked for the first time in close to two years at this show. Do you know what their relationship was like or how they had a falling out or if they even did see, and I, I don't recall that. And, 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 and Vince and Ed, I mean, look, even in their heyday of WWF, when they were, you know, Vince one, Ed two, they didn't always see eye to eye, but they always worked together and, and, and fluently, uh, but, but them having to fallen out. Now I will say this when WCW shut down and if you weren't a, you know, wrestler, a talent, lots of people just went in their different directions. I mean, Keith Mitchell, I remember having one of my first calls with him and he's like, well, I think this production guy's doing baseball. Well, I think he got on full-time with Turner. Well, I think this guy moved out West and he's going to be uh, pitching reality shows. You know, everybody went their separate directions. I kind of feel like them not talking uh, is just that. It's just, I don't think they had a fallen out. I don't recall that. Yeah. I mean, listen, there is a thing and everybody, and I know you've, I don't think you've ever had, I guess you have in the real world, Jeff, we all have what we call work friends. And so that doesn't necessarily mean they come over to your house or we're doing holidays with them, but we spend a lot of time with them through the week and we go to lunch with them and we know about their family and their kids, but we're not best of friends. We're quote unquote work friends. And I think that's okay. And it sounds like that's what this was. Yeah. So are you saying that I don't know what a work friend is? Well, you I'm just, just saying, you know, well, these people listening to this are like me, they go to the fucking office every day. I mean, you, well, I'm going to go stretch today and I'm going to eat real good and do chest and buys. I mean, that's, that's your work day. I mean, these are regular people like me listening to this, Jeff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my regular work days <laughs> starting to resonate up me is, uh, there's more than back and buys to that, but uh, I get it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I was my recollection. Vince and Ed didn't have a fallen out, but they went their separate ways. Uh, they both didn't live in Atlanta. Uh, Vince moved his family uh, from Stanford down to Atlanta. They really liked it. And that's where he was raising his three kids. So let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, where we are next. There's some controversy leading to the NWA title match with Ken Shamrock and Amori. Amori was scheduled to face Shamrock and put him over, but Noah that's pro wrestling. Noah N O a H a big Japanese promotion at the time refuses to let Amori lose. What do you remember about this situation? I can't believe that that's even a thing in 2002, but I guess it is wins and losses still matter. Well, and that's really getting into the weeds and you talk about granular. It's so granular. I don't have a complete re- recollection, but I do recall, uh, Harley race was a conduit, uh, to know. Wow. Right. That's cool. Yeah, no. And Harley, man, God, what a sweetheart of a guy and work together. And look, he's got a, uh, his brother, um, the, the long brothers. I mean, it goes back to the sixties, uh, of Harley having a connection, uh, to the Tennessee territory. So anyway, and me and Har- Harley, I went up work for him multiple times for his promotion, but, um, Harley was one of those guys that, uh, I always, obviously took his advice and guidance and recommendations. And, but he also had that relationship with Noah, if I recall accurately. Uh, but, but I don't remember those, that, that wins and losses that mean you have joked offline about. Yeah. Wins and losses and how stupid it is, but just how, how I just, I don't even understand the logic. How you, when you really get deep into it, but that's for another podcast. Well, let's talk about your man, Sonny Siaki. 
when I first oh. saw the, the show, the very first time I thought, wow, this guy's going to be a star. But a month later, it's reported in the torch that old Sonny has himself some heat in the locker room. And uh, also allegedly, according to the torch, he's, uh, got heat with management for quote unquote, going into business for himself. What do you remember about some of the early challenges you had with Sonny Siaki and what do you think his upside and potential was? I, I felt he was going to be a big star. Well, I love Sonny and doing these podcasts and the startup of TNA, I, I brought, you know, there's been some, uh, feelings that I got like, like the hospital, like, Oh my God, Conrad, do we really have to go through this? Right. What a disaster, but talking about guys like Sonny Siaki in the dressing room. And, and I can remember hearing the feedback. Sonny never had any heat with me or management to my, we, I love a, a talent that believes in himself. And, and Sonny was one of those guys so green that he didn't even know how to be cocky, but he was cocky and was arrogant and carried himself in such a good manner. I mean, I thought there was huge box office in Sonny. I thought the way he carried him, uh, a hell of an athlete. Um, I, I really, he was one of the young guns that I said, we're going to go with this guy. Uh, but him having heat with other guys in the dressing room, I always, to this day, I, I kind of like that because uh, that's somebody that's walking in the dressing room and he's uh, rubbing some folks the wrong way with his mannerisms and with his thought processes. And, and if he can get heat in the dressing room, you can get heat, heat with the people uh, in the arena. You just have to control that. You got to be professional. You got to do business. But I, I like someone who, who comes in a dressing room and gets noticed. Look, uh, now you look, get noticed for the wrong reasons. But Sonny got noticed, in my opinion, especially in those early days, like some other guys, for the right reasons. Talk me through what you're saying here, because it sounds like you mentioned well, Sonny was green at the time. So Sonny, it sounds like, and again, I don't know. I'm asking for clarification. He wasn't following quote unquote wrestler etiquette. He didn't have good locker room etiquette because wrestling is a weird little nuanced subculture where, you know, people have quote unquote heat and hell, they don't even know because there's these weird little unspoken things you're supposed to do or not do. And he may not have known that, or he just came in and was it something else? I mean, again, I wasn't in the dressing room all the time. Every show, like, sat in there. I was doing a bunch of other things. But you hit it. There have been guys, and not just Sonny, that they have a ton of heat, and they really don't even understand why they have heat because they hadn't been around the business. Right. That's what Sonny did, had heat, and he didn't even know why. A guy like Kid Cash uh, was a phenomenal young talent, but he wasn't as young as Sonny. Kid was Kid Cash was seasoned. He had heat. And he didn't give a damn. But Kid Cash, and again, I love Kid Cash. We're we're friends on social media. Yeah. But what I've read and seen and shoot interviews and all that, Kid Cash just runs his mouth. He'll just tell you what he thinks. I think there's a difference between like, and I, again, I don't know, but you, you you didn't shake hands with everybody. Well, fuck, he didn't know he had to shake that type of thing. Versus, hey, uh, good luck on that. Or, you know, I, shit I talk. Fried chicken. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But yeah. yes, yeah, that that's Sonny. He didn't. He was so green in the business. He didn't understand uh, the nuances. What you're saying, but he did have an air of, about him that, as he began to to learn the nuances, he, he just that 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 wasn't about him. He came in. He wanted to get over. Uh, it, it's just sort of I don't want to go use that proverbial phrase, the it factor. 
Sonny had some of that it factor that he just had some walking, talking. I'm going to smack that guy's grin off his face just because the way he looks, but in a good way. I got you. He he just had some box office uh, straight from day one. How did he feel about being a flying Elvis? Look, a lot of folks, and I've learned this through the years, can tell me straight to my face. I absolutely love this, Jeff. Thank you much for the opportunity. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And 30 seconds later, when they get out of my presence and get out away from me, they hate it. Sonny always was super appreciative uh, of, of the opportunity. And I told him, make it your own. Like I told, uh, you know, Jimmy, you know, you guys, the, the, the gimmick is only going to be as good as you make it. Right. So the ball's in your court. You really got to get into it. And that goes with anybody who's put into, look, I didn't even look that I love the gimmick because the, it just the, the, the Elvis and, and, and all that, but these guys had to make it their own. We came up with three different type of Elvis impersonators, but um, look, it was a startup company. Uh, it's not like we had uh, hours upon hours upon hours to do trial runs on everybody. So, uh, to my knowledge, Sonny was all in for it. There's some concern regarding some of the new and older talent meshing together. It's reported in the torch that some wrestlers were complaining about the stiffness of Loki's kicks. Brian Christopher supposedly acting like he was better than most of the locker room. I think kid Romeo got heat for trying to get all of his shit in. As they say, is this two different mindsets guys who have been uh, for lack of a better word, quote unquote, TV wrestlers versus a lot of guys who had tremendous indie buzz. And now we're trying to put that together. Philosophically Conrad. And we, I think we might've touched on this, but I'm sure as we get into the, we'll say it weeks and months to come, I've always believed the best, the best roster you can have is your veterans, your primetime players. your your soon to be breakout stars are just on the cusp. And then your rookies or, 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 or just breaking in. In the early days of TNA, we had veterans who had been around a while, guys that had um, one way or another screwed up, whatever it may be, and then a bunch of young independent talent. We didn't have that seasoned, big, big box office attraction. We just we didn't have that. And so we did have a lot of meshing of guys that thought they were too good to be there and guys that probably – weren't quite ready to be there. So it was an odd mix at times, especially this first year or two. And so a guy like, like Brian Lawler rubbed people the wrong way from day one, literally from day one. Uh, I, I love Brian. And as he matured and grew in the business, he still had that cocky arrogance about him. Um, why do you think he rubbed people the wrong way? Your opinion, super arrogant, uh, just su- super, super egotistical and Eric, his, he got hit Jerry's that way, but, but Jerry knew how to, uh, turn it off backstage. You know, he, he's very easy going, but, uh, Jerry playing a cocky heel, I think right up there, the best ever, uh, Brian emulated that even when the camera wasn't on, <laughs> but now there is a difference between being arrogant and confident. Right. And I know that's a fine line, but can you give us an example of something maybe you saw Brian Christopher do in the presence of other wrestlers where you thought, Oh man, I wish you wouldn't have did that. 
Oh, boy. Uh, you'd have to give me a little time. But, I mean, Brian, I mean, he could play cards and you would want to beat the hell out of him. I got you. He's just one of those guys who presses buttons and has fun. And, and I mean, and yeah, and Brian really meant it to be good natured, but not everybody understood Brian's good naturedness. You'd say, this guy, I want to kill him. Well, but, uh, you and I, when we get together, we get in a busting balls mode too. And yes. when other people get in our stratosphere, they get a little shrapnel because we're on, we're in sync and we're ready to roll. Easy, easy. So let's, hey, uh, let's talk about talk something. About you, Silva, I promise. Yeah. Just meet me at the uh, loading dock, uh, the elephant door. With uh, the Olin Mills photo shoot. By now, everyone has heard that real estate is hotter than ever. Homes are routinely selling for thousands of dollars above the listing price. But if you aren't looking to sell your home or buy another, you may have wondered, how does today's hot market affect me? Today, your house is very likely worth more than ever before. And that means you have more equity than ever before. And that represents a real opportunity to change your life. Now's the perfect time to consolidate all of your credit cards. You see, the interest you pay on a credit card is not only at a very high rate, it's also not tax deductible. Families just like yours have saved five, six, seven, even $800 per month. And you can too at savewithconrad.com. Oh, and if you've been dreaming of remodeling your kitchen, master bathroom, maybe putting in a pool or even a home theater, this is your chance to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket. So why not let my family get your family the best mortgage you've ever had at savewithconrad.com. First family mortgage, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months at savewithconrad.com. Let's jump into the building, the venue change. Uh, again, you've just heard, Hey man, we didn't sell as many pay-per-views as we thought we got to hit the reset button and slash costs. One of those cost cutting efforts, I believe is moving from Nashville municipal auditorium, where you almost felt like we could have for lack of a better word, a residency because the new Bridgestone arena, well, most recently, and I guess most people listening to this know it is Bridgestone, the, the new big arena in Nashville. Uh, has taken away all the business from the old municipal auditorium. So it felt like you were going to do that show every week from there. But now we realize, well, that even might be uh, a little too spendy. What if we did the old Nashville fairgrounds? Talk to me about the decision to pivot to the fairgrounds and what all that required, because I have, I assume much like ECW had to do to the ECW arena before they went live on pay-per-view. Hey, we got to paint all the walls black and paint the floor and paint the ceiling. We got to make this thing look as good as we can for TV. So the decision to move to the fairgrounds. Yes, sir. So the miss auditorium, and I don't remember the exact, but Wednesdays, I believe they committed to, I'll just say a year, but a pretty lengthy, but they did have concerts on the weekends. And when they came in, the price tag for us to load in and out was going to be on us. And so having a true residency at uh, the Nashville Fairgrounds was a reality. Having a true residency at Municipal Auditorium wasn't. And, and so, you know, there might have been a Wednesday here or, a, you know, I know every year back in those days, they had uh, a circus come in. Uh, they had a three or four day Harlem Globetrotter. They had some acts that they were still getting. And so I don't think it was a true 52 week, but but close. But the expense of uh Taking the lights up and down is, you know, 40, 50 grand. Um, we would have to load out. We also couldn't keep our TV truck. Uh, we, we couldn't keep a lot of stuff pre-hung uh, and wired. And the fairgrounds 
which, you know, there's, we'll probably do a whole podcast, hopefully on fairgrounds wrestling from Andy Kaufman to Hogan and Savage and the road warriors, Austin Idol. And that building was rocking, but uh, the, the old women's building in Nashville fairgrounds burned down. And so the city built the sports arena in Nashville. I'll just say this. They couldn't really say it to the public, but it had wrestling in mind from day one. So that building was built for wrestling. Um, it was we knew we could get it 52 weeks a year. We knew we could hang the lights. It it could become, uh, other than taking a stage in and out, we could have the building 52 weeks a year. And it made, obviously, <laughs> economical sense, but also creating our own uh, Memphis studio or studio wrestling, much like, you know, nowadays they created the Thunderdome in WWE, kept it for a year. Um at TNA, we did Universal Studios Orlando, and that was the, our impact zone. So it was the mindset that let, let's create an environment that we can have week in, week out. And that obviously removed the the, the bandwidth of a marketing, and, and I'm, I'm talking about a live event marketing and live event staff in, in a big way, and all the security you got to have from a auditorium. So it was definitely a financial decision, but also a fixed location was right up there at the priority. Another name we haven't thrown around a ton lately. Rudy Charles is brought in as an assistant to the office. Of course, he's going to be used as a referee. We know Rudy Charles these days as WWE referee, Dan Engler, uh, back then, what was Rudy like and how much help was he to you in real life? Wow. Oh man. Yeah. I will get emotional if I really, uh, no, I cannot say enough good things. Rudy was my right-hand man. Um, and it all started off of, uh, look, we, we were, it was Jeremy Borash and, and Ron Harris. Cause Don Harris hadn't even moved up from Florida yet. Um, Bob Ryder, my father, we needed somebody who literally could work at his desk and be an assistant to Bob Ryder for travel an assistant to Vince Russo or Jerry Jarrett for creative an assistant to Jeff whatever it may be, Rudy was the guy who answered the phones and was the assistant. And, uh, I believe my dad called Burke Prentice and said, Hey, I got a guy that I think will work out. And lo and behold, uh, good old Rudy Charles said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And that, uh, little deal, um, as answering the phones for NWA TNA or J sports and entertainment. I remember him when the phone would ring, Rudy would say J sports and entertainment. This Rudy, how can I help you? I mean, literally, that's how it started. And he helped me. It, I, I'm not sure where the person Jeff would be without old Rudy. He really, uh, incredible administrator and note taker and a great guy. And, I mean, he, he's uh, just a great human being. But uh, in those early days, uh, it was young Rudy, the ref, and he looked 12 years old. <laughs> and he used to bug me. Why can't I be the senior referee? And I said, look at you and Earl put your picture. Anyway, we, it was a running joke. How can a senior referee be a teenager? But, uh, that's pretty fun. If you, if you hear, uh, in the, I don't know, 06, 07, 08 senior referee, Rudy Charles, and he looks nine. So it's a little inside joke. Tremendous. Uh, an ad runs in Des Moines, Iowa, according to the torch for your show, but you don't even have clearance there. So you're, you're running promos for stuff that you can't actually order. And apparently there were also ads purchased for cable vision, but you don't have clearance there. Is this just issues a new company can face without proper infrastructure? 
or do you think this is just holdover from the whole Hasman debacle? Both. And, and again, this was such a learning curve and, and I know in your industry and, uh, any kind of business I've learned through the years, what a learning curve, nothing replaces experience, but, um, there would be cable companies that would run spots because they would pull it down off of in demand in demand. Again, it's the clearinghouse they're the distributor that they're the ones who, you know, whether it's the, in those days, a movie coming out or a Tyson fight or, you know, early UFC, whatever it was, they pulled down these commercials. Well, some systems who couldn't even carry us would pull down our commercial because it's in this large bandwidth and, Oh, I want to see that. Yeah. Let's put it on. And, and the pay-per-view wasn't even available. Cable vision. Uh, I believe that was a specific Hosman, New York city area, um, you know, buying ads. And in, in at that time, we, we just figured that, okay, Jay, uh, depends on when you're actually asking this question is Jay, you were in hopes you would get cable vision clearance by now, but you still didn't. Mm. So, um, a complete mess, but, um, the, the cable industry pay-per-view marketing side, uh, to me never, that's why Vince always did it in house. I mean, he, he took the ball in his hands cause he had to, cause you couldn't rely on them to market a damn thing correctly. Tough lesson to learn. I'll say that. Let's get to the show that quote unquote saved TNA and it'll make sense on the other side. In the opening match, July 10th, 2002, AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn are going to be Temptest, who we know is Crowbar, and Slash, who we know is Wolfie D. They're both managed by uh, James Mitchell. And AJ and Jerry Lynn are going to retain the World Tag Team straps in 10 and a half minutes. Uh, the write up would say good action, but not great. Lynn looked upset with Styles' celebration afterwards. Three stars. This is Crowbar, AKA Devin Storm's debut with the company. He was originally given the name crucifix, but I believe according to the rumor and innuendo rejected it due to some religious beliefs. What'd you think of the match and uh, how was crowbar to work with? Uh, when you just said two things that jumped off, off the notes, you, you gave me one was crucifix. I don't, you know, there's a, there's a move in wrestling called crucifix. Yeah. Uh, so I don't remember De- Devin's a good dude. Uh, worked with him, WCW worked with him on WWA. Um, but a hell of a talent. I don't actually recall that, but the one thing of Jerry and AJ, and, and I remember planting the early seeds that the student and the teacher, um, you know, they win AJ's the young rising kid. And, uh, Jerry is the, 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 the seasoned vet. And he's, uh, acting as if he's frustrated at the young kid getting out over his ski. So, um, AJ was, uh, literally pardon the pun phenomenally good athlete and and Jerry was such a great quarterback in, in those days and really telling a story you know you would never say oh man that Jerry Lynn what a ton of charisma and I would beg to differ he may not be the most flamboyant but what a nuanced and subtle storyteller Jerry uh, is let's uh let's talk about uh, what's next on the program. We've got a recap of the Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall feud. Thanks to uh, Mike Tanay, Don West and Ed Ferrara. And then we interview Scott Hall by phone. And he says, it doesn't matter how many times someone knocks him down. What matters is how many times he gets up. And he said his hit list starts with Brian Christopher, then K crush. And finally Jarrett and Jeff, I like, you know, since you're balling on a budget, you're highlighting Scott Hall when he can't be there. I assume 
you're doing this as a cost cutting measure, keeps him on the TV, keeps him on the program, but saves you some trans and a payday. I mean, that's the obvious, but I think it probably goes with your, your big stars. You got two hours. Don't overexpose him. Get him in the storyline. If I remember correctly, didn't we leave him down? I don't say he was beaten, bloodied mess, but I think we, um, we, we roughed him up enough that he wasn't back the following week, but uh phone or interview, uh, again, um, the episodic nature of 52 weeks a year, I think a lot of times is just, especially in 2021, but back in those days is overlooked. It was, um, and I don't even want to say slow walk. It, it's just telling stories with episodic beats. And the beat this week was he didn't need to be there, but we're going to keep the storyline going and he's going to do it via phone call. Next up, we've got, uh, an interesting piece of business. Brian Christopher walks to the ring and explains his actions on last week's show. And he goes on a long winded sort of disjointed emotional explanation of how his father, Jerry Lawler was never around when he was a kid. And then he said that he's going to change his ways and announce that he is now Brian Lawler and he's going to become his own man. This is interesting. You know, uh, feels a little Russo esque, not in a bad way. Just saying, what'd you think of sort of airing out and maybe blurring the lines? Because I think behind the scenes, there's some truth to that, that Brian and Jerry maybe didn't have a storybook relationship when he was younger. You know, what's just amazing to me. You just said it sort of a Russo esque. And do you know if you would have, if I would have pushed pause right before you said Russo, I would have bet big money that you would have said, ah, sort of sounds Jerry Jarrett esque. I really would have said that, uh, that that's right out of Jerry Jarrett's playbook. Uh, and, and look at, you know, that's why I guess Vince is such a light lightning rod, but that is, you know, my father, Memphis TV, um, always, whether it's Bill Dundee having his wife sh- shave her head because there were some behind the scenes, uh, yeah, just we, the, the philosophy is always use something that is reality based. Now, look, you can't go 100% because a lot of times that's boring or not good TV or you just, it doesn't make sense, but use something with a foundation. And the foundation was absolutely there. Lawler, um, uh, married uh, his first wife. They had two kids, Brian and Kay, and then Lawler, they went through divorce. And then Jerry was like a lot of us out on the road working seven days a week. So he wasn't around hardly at all in Brian's early years, like never. Uh, but you know, Brian wasn't the only kid that didn't have a father around, but, um, you know, it's, it's always kind of unique when you have wrestler kids because they see their father on TV, yeah. uh, they see more on TV than they do at home. And that's a little bit different than you have a, a kid whose father is, you know, who actually has to go to work today and has work friends and his job isn't just tanning and working on tries and buys. <laughs> right. Love you. Yes. All right. So by now you've probably put together that, uh, I just celebrated a birthday. I'm the big four. Oh, and people started to ask me, Hey man, how does it feel to be 40? Do you feel different? Well, I am at least in my head a little bit. I mean, I think we all are. When you get certain ages, you start to think, oh man, is this, is this, does this mean I'm old? When we were kids, man, 40 seemed old. Well, the other thing that seemed old is man, only old guys can lose their hair. It's just not true, man. 
Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. And I've been fortunate so far. Mine's turned gray, but it hasn't turned loose, as we like to say here in the South. But the reality is more than 50 million men in the United States are going to suffer from some form of male pattern baldness. And my dad is the latest example. I started to see my dad's hair was thinning on a beach trip in April, and I immediately knew what to do. I got to go to keeps.com forward slash Jarrett. Now, why am I promoting keeps here? Well, because I believe in it. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Keep your hair. You don't wait until you lost it to figure out how to grow it back. No, no. Keep what you got, dude. It's a convenient virtual doctor consultation, and your medication will be delivered straight to your door every three months. You never have to leave home. It's a very low cost. Treatments start at just $10 a month, and Keeps even offers generic versions. But maybe best of all, it comes in discreet packaging with proven results. Proven results. Don't take my word for it. Go check it out. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. Here's the reality. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so act fast. Keep the hair you already have. That's what Keeps is all about, and that's why we're all about Keeps. And if you're ready to take action to prevent hair loss, go to Keeps.com slash Jarrett to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Jarrett to get your first month for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Jarrett. Uh, but, but no, so, so there was definitely a foundation there. And also Brian had be, had been, uh, too cool. And you know, th- that, that whole, uh, deal that he, he's going to break out and be Brian Lawler and hell half the world knew it was the King and the King had a, a household name. He was on every Monday night. So why not at this stage, uh, the, the, the fact, you know, the belief is, um, you know, our referee is Jeff Leonard. So don't use the last name, quote unquote, to get over. But 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 once Brian Lawler's talent was uh, Brian Christopher's talent was clearly established. Why not come out with it and said, yeah, that's my old man. Uh, it, it is who it is. And 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 this is the direction I'm going. And it's reality based. And that's where we went with it. So chat me up. How was Brian about the name change? You know, he's become a he's wrestled his whole career as Brian Christopher. He's become a. Uh, a star to even casual wrestling fans as a part of too cool. But again, it says grandmaster sex, a Brian Christopher, and now he's going with the Lawler name. Was he on board with this in general or, okay, I don't really want to do this, but I'll do it for y'all. But outside of this, I'm still Brian Christopher. Oh, I mean, look, you'd God rest his soul. But to my recollection, Brian was absolutely for it. And, and this is where it's a little bit different. You have to have lived it. We're talking Nashville. So, so the whole world, let rephrase that, the whole wrestling world in Nashville was well aware that that's Lawler's kid. Of course. So get out in front of it. Get out and talk about it. Now, well, you know, do it. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's not just a storyline. It's, it's, it's something you can sink your teeth into. So Brian was all for it. I mean, run with it. He, he had no objective because it's not like you're leaving Brian Christopher. It's Brian Christopher Lawler or BC Lawler or whatever it may be, but it's, it's not hiding behind the fact that, Oh, that's my dad. And he's the lead announcer on Monday night raw. So let's keep it going here. Uh, the next match is going to be Brian Lawler pinning Norman smiley in just under five minutes. 
Uh, the write-up says a semi-competitive match meant to showcase Lawler. Smiley was fun, but not presented as a serious competitor star in three quarters. Talk to me about Norman Smiley. You got any good Norman Smiley stories? Oh, the wiggle. Um, okay. Sidebar too. You're asking me to sidebar. Yes, I am. I got a good flow going here today. We're staying on point and here you go. You're bringing up wiggle stories. Um, oh gosh, Norman Smiley. Um, we all, yeah, oh man, let me think. Oh, well, the one that I used to, that, uh, Norman would always make me laugh. I made him laugh one time. I think it was the, it couldn't have been WCW. It was the WWA tour. And I'm walking through the lobby of the crown casino. And when I flew down there that time, I had met folks in my WCW run and, you know, not a lot of email back then, but somehow, some way the, the communication and, and a guy told me, bring as many slap nut shirts as you can possibly bring pack an extra bag, whatever it is, I'll buy them all from you because I'll sell them down here. And I was walking through the lobby uh, and Crown Casino is huge in Melbourne and over uh, at a restaurant, uh, Norman is sitting there and he sees me lugging these two boxes over my shoulders and he has to walk out and he said, brother, I I just got to ask you, what are you doing? I said, Selling slap nut shirts. <laughs> and he says, you never miss an opportunity, do you? So uh, we, uh, to this day, we, we chuckle about that story. So I love Norman. The wiggle. You talk about getting over. And Norman is a tough son of a bitch. Yes. Very talented. And um, he may be most known uh, for his wiggle days, which uh, tells you everything we need to know about sports entertainment. Backstage Goldilocks brings the mic up to a conversation between yourself and NWA executive Bill Barons. Barons tells you that you weren't getting a shot at the NWA title and you're complaining about it and you're setting up the long build for you versus Shamrock, right? Do you have some sort of, you know, uh, it's a pay-per-view company, so you're not exactly building to a pay-per-view in the future, but I guess you kind of have to be, did you have like a special or a concept in your brain for all right, this is where we're going to call bound for glory, or this is when we're going to do, you know, a clash of the champions type special. Now I'm not saying it would be on broadcast TV, but an event, something that felt a little bigger, a little different. Did you have that in mind for you and Shamrock? From the very beginning, we wanted to build, and I don't want to say quarterly, cause I almost think it was every other month. We sort of wanted to, uh, the first of the month was, you know, people it's easier to buy and They'd give us data on what their graphs look like on a monthly that the buys, the revenue would, would generally trend down from the first to the 30th of the month. But anyway, yeah, like about every other month have a, we'll call it a, a super show. Uh, but we didn't have, you know, we're, we're a month in or two months in. We didn't have that. We just knew, or I knew, or collectively the creative is keep that vibe. And this is very appropriate for the show because that's sort of how the end of this show that was the, the, the next progressive step, but ju- just to, to continue a slow burn of, of me complaining that, uh, Toby Keith and Scott Hall cost me the title and just keep that running theme, uh, along, you know, with other, you know, earlier in the show, we did the AJ styles and, and Jerry Lynn beat, uh, but little bitty beats through each episode that would continue to build toward big, uh, money matches. Well, here's a big money match. And again, context is King. A lot of our listeners to this may probably not be familiar with NASCAR or Hermie Sadler, but Hermie Sadler 
was and is a big name in that world. And now he's going to have his first wrestling match. Yes. He's wrestling a match against K crush who we know is Ron killings or our truth. And Hermie gets the win by DQ. The write-up says well-booked match. Sadler got enough offense to please the fans, but the offense was always a result of crush getting too cocky. Not because Sadler actually was presented as a credible opponent against crush. Crush scored the pin at five minutes and 15 seconds, but the decision was reversed when crush took some post pin, uh, pot shots. So two stars, but your old friend, Hermie, who I know you're tight with in real life, you've convinced to become a wrestler here, or at least wrestle in a match. And man, how great was Ron killings to help him get to a passable appearance here. I didn't have to twist Hermes arm at all. He's a lifelong wrestling fan, loves it. You know, um, thinking through this, uh, knowing we're coming up on this and how the Titans were involved and, you know, that's mainstream as you can get, but Hermie, uh, was, I think 1993 rookie of the year and, and drove in every division in NASCAR, you know, cup and, and every series. So, so, uh, and his brother drove as well. And that name they'd been around, uh, anyway. So, so him being a wrestling fan and also, a, a an incredible entrepreneur, he wanted to do this and it goes without saying how many times have I admired and chatted up and, and said how great Ron killings is. Uh, yeah, for real. He's still a, a regular appearance because he's so diverse. He can have a match as a heel or a babyface comedy, serious championship material tag. He can do it all. Uh, and you just said that Dave gave him a two star. That's pretty damn incredible uh, for your first match on pay-per-view and, and granted uh, going into this, Hermie got, he, look, he's a promoter. I mean, a big time uh, PR marketing guy. He, you know, his family's been in the car business. They've been in a little bit of all kinds of businesses, but, but he, got a lot of publicity coming into this match and, and he did it several times for us and, and coming out of the match. Uh, so, uh, you know, I didn't have anything to do with his training, but, but I was certainly, uh, knew th- enough to know Ron killings and K- uh, Ronnie lived over in Charlotte and Hermie lived right across the border in Virginia, um, at Emporia. So I, I knew that the match would be, uh, not just passable, highly entertaining. I'll say that. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the way you booked Hermie in the match, because this is something that I feel like you can provide insight to, since you're not only the guy running the show, but an actual wrestler yourself. Let me repeat this here. Sadler got enough offense to please the fans, but the offense was always a result of crush getting too cocky, not because Sadler was actually presented as a credible opponent against crush. A lot of times when a celebrity comes in, Jeff, they're pulling off these big moves and they're using them on the, the actual wrestler in the match. And it, it almost offends a lot of people who are diehard wrestling fans. Like, wait a minute. This fuck we're supposed to believe that this guy can withstand this same move from all these other wrestlers. But when this funky ass celebrity does it, he can't possibly match that bullshit. This match was booked differently. And that feels like that's the way you and your dad would have wanted it. Can you talk about the difference? Mm. Wow. We are really getting into the weeds here. Uh, this is, uh, so I've had this conversation 
through the years, I don't know how many times. And Conrad, I don't believe we've ever had this conversation, but no, you I'm, and I've never discussed this. I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I, and, and the, the, cause I've had to explain this to many people, you know, even, you know, an attorney, buddy of mine, an accountant, whatever it may be. Cause they're like, how you know, Gronkowski, I think I, I had this conversation last year. Well, bad bunny. That's another really good example. But I, I think when you lay out a match, there's this crazy thing called wrestling logic. Yes. <laughs> and, and the, the logic being look, Running the ropes doesn't make sense. Not at all. You didn't see Conor McGregor bounce off the cage and come back with a flying forearm. No, you didn't. You didn't see MMA, uh, collar and elbow, lock up, headlock, takeover. I mean, it's what we do as an art. Um, Conrad, you're all right. Oh, no, I'm great. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, but just the wrestling logic of, of, of laying out a match. And, and I'll, I like to say, if, you know, if I were to go back in time, I'd say, Hey, Ronnie, uh, whatever you're going to do out there, beat yourself. And that's, you know, playing to get so cocky that it's your mistake that gives him the upper hand, uh, not, not anything he did. And that's how you lay out something that makes wrestling logic to make a amateur or an outsider come in and look good. And it's highly entertaining. It's much more entertaining. And, and a lot of times a wrestling fan can't put their thumb on it other than that didn't look right. That, that shouldn't have happened. That just, it didn't uh, pass the, the sniff test. And, and it's that wrestling logic that, that either you pass or you don't. So let's jump into, um, your training of Hermie Sadler. Is that something you're working out at the house with him? Or are you going down a couple of days ahead of time, the day of? How do you put together a match with a true non-wrestler, but someone who is familiar because they're a lifelong fan, you know, with Hermie being on show one, and I don't have complete recollection of this, but knowing that we're going to build, because we set this up in Huntsville, uh, to, to, on, on some shape, form or fashion, because uh, killings came out with him and Sterling Marlin in the ring, uh, on the first episode. So we were building toward this, uh, again, Ronnie Killings lives in Charlotte. Hermie lives in Emporia, Virginia. It's about two hours apart. You guys find you a wrestling ring, work it out. And, and they both had assured me that they could have a hell of a match. And I believed them and they did. So we're talking a lot today with Jeff about how things were changing in TNA. There's going to be major cost cutting measures. And Jeff's actually going to, in a little while, relay a story about how he has to go to vendors sort of hat in hand. He needs a little patience. He needs to negotiate. He needs to save some money. Well, here's a pro tip for saving money. And we just learned it very recently in the last year or so. I'd say these car parts stores are ripping you off and you don't even realize it. Listen, there's lots of makes. There's lots of models. I get it. They got to stock everything for everybody. But what I didn't know was those jokers have two price tiers. One, if you're a professional mechanic and another, that's way more. If you're like me and you, and you're just a regular old do it yourself for dude. Now there is a better way. It's rockauto.com. I believe in rockauto.com because much like my business, rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for like two decades. In fact, go to rockauto.com right now and shop for all the auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Now here's what you'll see when you get there. They got everything. I mean, engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil. Hell, they even got new carpet. And they don't just have it for daily drivers. They got old stuff for the old classics. 
I know because I sent my dad there and the website is so easy. Even my dad could navigate it. You can go ahead and type in your maker model and you'll see exactly what parts are available for your vehicle. You choose the brand, the specs, the prices. Oh, speaking of prices, there's not two price tiers. It's reliably low. Every time it's the same for everybody. No gimmicks needed over at rockauto.com. It's unfair that these do it yourselfers like myself have to pay twice as much as a professional mechanic. And they don't put up with that over at rockauto.com. What you will find there at rockauto.com is an amazing selection, reliably low prices. In fact, they've got all the car parts you'll ever need at rockauto.com. Now do me a favor when you go there and do that right now, just see what they got. It costs nothing to look. Just take a look. When you go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck, write my world in their How did you hear about us box. So they know that we sent you. It's that simple. Go see what they got. When they find what you're looking for, type in my world. When you see that, hi, did you hear about us box and let them know that we sent you to the best car parts site around it's rockauto.com. So backstage, we see Amori warming up for his title shot and Alicia, AKA Ryan Shamrock approaches him and he gives her a wad of cash. Did Amori know this segment, what it meant? When he did it, do you think? Hell, I don't know what it means right now, but no, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't recall the, the, all the ins and outs. And I'll say this was a Jerry Jarrett, Vince Russo and, or, um, I, I just don't recall this specific. The hot shots, which is Cassidy O'Reilly and Chase Stevens are going to fight Mark and Jay Briscoe to a double DQ when malice attacked all four. Uh, of course we know Mark and Jay Briscoe are staples in ring of honor then and now. Uh, and they've both gone on to have great success as a tag team and individually and all the above Cassidy O'Reilly though. And Chase Stevens, what can you tell us about those fellas? You know, the Briscoes on those guys. So this is July of 2002. I don't know if anybody was a mainstay of ring of honor cause they were brand new as well. Um, I recall, uh, they launched about this time, but anyway, those are two guys that I always wish we are, could have got the opportunity to have them full time, but a great tag team, but chase, um, uh, which Andy Douglas came in later, but, uh, Cassidy and, 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 you know, the hot shots, uh, just a really, really good bump taking heel team that could get the job done. Um, always been big fans of those guys. What about the, uh, the Briscoe bros? Uh, why don't you do more with them in TNA? Do you think in hindsight? Yeah. You know, I, no, I don't, I think I don't say this is a one-off, but we didn't have the opportunity. Uh, they, one of them had a full time. They, they, they both work full time in the chicken business. Both of them. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I don't think they could commit yeah. to every Wednesday, but I may be wrong, but, but uh, as the years went along, I'll say this. Now I'm getting up in 05, 06, 07, always really, I tell you what, uh, me and Dutch often had many conversations on one of those deals. Who's out there? Who's available? Well, this guy's under contract. Oh, this team's under contract. And, and we both were fans of those, uh, those guys about wanting to get them into TNA full time. Never happened though. Let's jump around. Let's talk about, uh, Jim Mitchell, he's going to tell Shamrock to come to the ring for a beating or else they're going to continue to attack innocent victims. When Shamrock doesn't come out, they attack a ringside timekeeper. Shamrock comes out for the save, but when Mitchell's disciples overwhelm him, Amori runs out to make the save, essentially protecting his title shot. 
how good was Jim Mitchell here? Uh, he's like the perfect mouthpiece for malice. Does he know it? I've said it. I'll continue to say it on our TNA episodes. Jim could create a vivid picture in the viewer consumer in their mind by his words. And, and that's, uh, a, a very good trait. It's the trait to have as an orator or a promo guy is to paint that picture And Jim, whether it was the new church or malice later abyss abyss's opponents, Jim's great. He could, he could paint that picture and, 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 and bring you into the story and, and feel like you were part of it. And he's got a real gift to do that. Goldilocks interviewed the Dups backstage before Jasmine St. Clair walked out and talked about wanting to give NWA TNA some real TNA. Then she gives Jeremy Borash a lap dance in the ring and, uh, Bill Barron's broke it up and then got a spear from Ed Ferrara. Is this uh JB's idea for Jasmine to come out? Or is this a Vince Russo idea? Actually, you know what? Let's just start at the beginning. Jeff, tell some of our younger listeners who Jasmine St. Clair was. Uh, she was an ECW personality, correct? Oh, that's what you're going to call her. Okay. <laughs> she was, uh, the J- JB, you know, I don't want to say it was solely his idea, but, but, uh, I feel like I recall it came from, uh, the mind of Jeremy Borash. Um, and he booked himself to get a lap dance from the quote unquote gangbang queen. I'm not sure that he booked himself to, to get a lap dance. That might've been a, a, a Russo or Ferrar. Hell no. Who knows? Maybe a Jerry Jarrett. I, I don't, I, I really don't remember that where, how we arrived at that. Obviously I condoned it. No, I approved it, whatever it may be. Uh, let me, let, I, let me give a spoiler right fast. Some of our listeners probably need to know this. Do not Google Jasmine St. Clair for your work. Uh, she had a, a, a previous line of work prior to becoming, I guess you referred to her as a quote unquote ECW talent. And, uh, you don't want to get in trouble and you don't have to get, a, have to get written up. So don't Google that continue. I forgot to say that, but somebody just did and got in trouble. See? Yeah. yeah. You're a bad influence. I'm not, you booked it. Well, well, well okay. I mean, it's your but- show and, and you've got. <laughs> Porn stars on your show now, giving lap dances. This is TNA. In the Yang, there's NWA and then there's TNA. Yeah. There's total nonstop action and then there's well. Hey, but uh, I chuckle when you said Ed Farrar. He he speared. Is that what? Lay that out again. He, Bill Barons breaks up the lap dance and then catches a spear from Ed Farrar. This is what you're doing. You got the announcers spearing the executives because they want the porn star to continue to do lap dances on the ring announcer. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Carry on my friend. Oh gosh. The flying Elvis has beat the dups in five minutes. Uh, gets uh, two stars and it's called good action. And then, uh, Jerry Lynn is going to pile drive AJ styles on a case and call him a glory hog effectively. Yes. Breaking up the tag team champions. And then we see uh, Omori fighting Shamrock to a no contest. So Shamrock retains in about seven and a half minutes. You're going to come out and interfere as uh, Shamrock had Omori near a tap out. And when Harley race intervenes, Jarrett hits him two and a half stars. The story, I believe that we've heard over, over from, uh, well, anyone who's ever worked with Harley race is that Harley wants you to quote unquote, lay it in when you're working with Harley here. You grew up in the business when Harley race was the NWA world champion. So 
you obviously have a lot of respect, not only for wrestling tradition, but him personally, and he's an elder statesman in real life. Does he give you the advice now, kid? Don't, don't pussyfoot around here. Lay it in. Man, I, 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 cause I knew the clip at the end is the Titans, but the chair shot that I gave Harley was a clip. If I recall correctly, yes, but, but Harley, and we, you know, we worked together several times in these type deals, but he had no problem. And he would say, Jeff, I know you're safe, but damn it, you better swing it. And, and I think this is a, 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 I don't hate to call it a highlight clip, but we use this clip often. In, in the following uh, couple of years, I knocked the, yes, I, I swung for the fences and Harley would just laugh. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a unprotected chair shot that would certainly not be acceptable or appropriate today. Uh, but it was without question requested by the veteran of the multi-time NWA world heavyweight champion, the King Harley race. I'm trying to figure out. He's 60. What? How old is he here? 61. Gotta be maybe 62. Oh my goodness, man. Yeah. No kidding. <sighs> nope. So let's keep it going. Goldilocks is going to find bill Barron's tied up shirtless backstage. And then we see low key pin Christopher Daniels to earn an X title shot in a six man elimination match with Elix Skipper, Jerry Lynn, kid Romeo and Tony mama Luke. They got 21 minutes and 42 seconds. and got four stars. So probably the match of the night at this point, uh, we've talked a little bit about low key. We've talked a little bit about Christopher Daniels, of course, a ton about Jerry Lynn. We haven't spent much time talking about Elix Skipper or Tony mama Luke. I felt like Elix Skipper is probably, I don't know. One of the great what ifs in wrestling. I always thought his performance was great in WCW. I think he had a ton of show stealing moments and probably one of the most dangerous things I've ever seen in wrestling happened with him walking the six sided cage in TNA. Can you talk to us about Elix Skipper, Tony Mamaluke a little bit? Just unbelievable. And when you, you know, they went 21 minutes and, you know, look, and, and rightly so. TNA got bashed six ways from Sunday multiple times. And is it total nonstop action or is it tits and ass or is it NWA? You know, whatever it may be. But when you hear just this episode, and there's many multiple episodes, we gave them 21 minutes of wrestling time. And you give the Dups and the Elvises. Hey, look, I, I'm not a big timekeeper. I format things, but but you know, I think that tag match was six or seven minutes, and I'm sure you know. The, so the Hot Shots could 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 have wrestled as Chase and, and Cassidy against uh, uh, Murdoch, you know, whatever, just four guys, or you can put them in characters and and let them still go have the same match. But anyway, 21 minutes to those guys, and and obviously Chris Daniels. Uh, the QB of that low key. Awesome. Um, I mean, but, but Elix Skipper and Marmaluke, you know, it's a six way that the people probably never had an opportunity to sit down. It, it was something that I knew from day one that the X division really defined us in that you will not see this on Monday night raw or, or SmackDown. It's the alternative. It's a different style. We're going to highlight it. Uh, both those guys, uh, Elix, like you said, uh, he, he really came into his own, uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, but, but both those guys, all six really, really good X division. And I say X division because they knew how to work that style. Let me ask if Amore had been able to quote unquote, do business, 
would the NWA title match have gone on last? Would it have been longer than seven minutes if you had a definitive finish? And I'm just trying to learn about your thought process and the way you structure a show. Yeah. Would you have started? I highly, highly doubt that, um, it would have gone on last because I'm in a big believer. The worst thing you can do to a main event is put something on before it that they can't follow. I see. And when people leave the arena, you want them. And that's why Lawler was so good in Memphis. You better put him on last because you ain't following him. He knew exact. He knew that audience so good. Uh, on occasion, Lawler wouldn't go on last because he would know that we're either going to do a screw finish or, or DQ and something after it and something we need to talk about or whatever it may be. Uh, but, but my philosophy is uh, the main event earned their spot and they better deliver. But if you have some type of creative or, or just the mechanics that, 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 that they're not going to be able to follow an earlier match, you, you, you want to, you want to put everybody in the best position to succeed, namely the brand and the company, but who's going to follow that six way? Nobody. So you come to your last segment, you're going to come out complaining. You start ripping on the Tennessee Titans who are seated in the front row. You call yourself a champion. Unlike these losers who lost in the super bowl and they jump the rail. And you're attempting to fight them off before the disciples run out and you start brawling with malice as the show goes off the air. A lot to unpack here before we jump into the aftermath, who had the, um, the quote unquote plug to the, to the Tennessee Titans. Did you have that relationship already? Or was it someone else? Yeah. So set, set it up, but no, but yeah, Frank Wycheck, um, Gosh, so so you have to go into the WCW times when the Music City Miracle happened, and I wore the Titan shirt on TV, and then I wore the Titan shirt. Uh, another time I went back to Buffalo. Um, so, you know, I'm a diehard Titan fan. They came to um, Nashville via Houston uh, with a stop in Memphis, early 90s. So I had connections with the Titans. But me and Frank, uh, Frank was a wrestling fan, um, and we had met each other uh, at a Raw I believe that's the first time we met, but we had remained friends, um, gosh, you know, through, through it all. And, uh, again, we were just buddies, but Hey man, we're doing these shows. They were in camp. Uh, and so Frank, come on down. Oh, we'd love to come on down. You know, later Frank wrestled at a slam anniversary. So it's been me. My relationship with Frank was the conduit to everything. The WCW days, the early TNA days, um, we'll get into, I called Frank uh, for advice on the Pac-Man. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, but Frank, me and Frank's relationship uh, was the conduit to all of it. It's, um, I mean, talk to me through creatively. Does, does he say, Jeff, can we do something? Do you want us to do something? Or do you say hypothetically and just sort of soft pitch it out there and then he has to run it up the flagpole or what's that process look like? Well, the offensive line and they were a unit and coming off two years prior to this, I think was the super bowl year. Um, super successful later on this year. I think this is the year they went 13 and three, but a really, really good offensive line. Like they blocked for Eddie George and Steve McNair and they were the elite, uh, offensive unit and really tight Fred Miller, Zach Piller, um, 
Matthews, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave somebody out here, but, but, uh, anyway, Frank and his buddies, his teammates, his close teammates were all wanting to come and knowing the, the format of the show, I was like, Hey, what can we do? Um, look, I didn't have a sports center moment in my mind, maybe in the back of my mind, I've always got that there, but what can we do to, to just sort of spice it up? knowing the uh, character of Jeff Jarrett is going to continue to bitch about wanting his title shot. Uh, and so I just said, hey, would you guys uh, mind if we got into a, a verbal joust and I'll shove you and you shove me back and we'll have security, uh, you know, how it turned out was not anywhere close to what was discussed. The only thing that was discussed was, Frank, I'm going to shove you and uh, you shove me back and then I'm going to leave you guys and you guys sort of act like you want to maybe, Frank, you are going to come over the rail and have your teammates pull you back and I'll have security get in between. And it was I was just going to verbally jab them. But the story what was me continuing to bitch to Tanae and West uh, about me getting a title shot and we go off the air. With 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 me ranting and raving, no physicality. What was was booked? Talk to me a little bit about you know when you're laying all of this out. And again, I don't know, so I'm just asking. I've read that there's a lot of contracts that professional athletes have from the organization that says you can't do this, you can't do that. Is this a hey we should ask forgiveness rather than permission situation? As far as you know, for the Titans. Man, th- th- this is a, g- a g- another good episode that t- Brian Erlacher, he came down, didn't ask for permission, asked for forgiveness. This, w- again, um, why check? They came to the show. They're in the middle of camp. There was no plans for them to get physically involved at all. It, it wasn't even a thought. It, it certainly wasn't going to be a good idea. They weren't going to do it. I mean, they, they, it was, hey, man, can you come down? I'm going to have a little verbal thing. It's going to be over and done with. So they came through the back door and it is nothing that we laid out. That's what the story a lot of times even gets sidetracked because there's such an assumption that, Hey, you're going to lay out this Titans angle. There was no, there was, there was nothing. There was no Titans angles. It was, Hey, Jason, that's my little brother. Um, make sure you get them in these seats for, for at the end of the night, because I'm going to come over and talk trash to them. And that's it. I mean, there's, there was no laying out of an angle or a storyline contrary to what fiction writers may or may not write. Oh my God. (laughs) There there was no angle. What are you shaking your head for? You you did it again. (laughs) (laughs) NMLS number six, five, zero, eight, four equal housing lender. Woo. With the real estate market being so hot, you have more equity than ever before. Use that equity to consolidate all of your credit card debt and get the cash you need to turn your house into your dream home at savewithconrad.com. All right. So let's talk about what the torch did, right? Can't believe you. (sighs) The angle with the Tennessee Titan football players got carried away. According to TNA officials, the script called for Jeff to get involved in a pushing match with the Titans players, but they were not supposed to jump over the guardrail. Once backstage, Jeff Jarrett kept cool about the confrontation by telling everyone it was not a big deal. Harley race, who was also among those backstage ran out to check on the situation. He told friends that it was the first time in 20 years. He had to run to the ring for a shoot situation. The Titans coach, Jeff Fisher went public against the player's involvement 
and said such activity would not be tolerated in the future. The observer wrote this Tennessee Titans, offensive lineman, Frank Miller and Zach P- uh, pillar hopped the rail. And there was a big skirmish. Most of which was pre-planned. The segment was added by Russo. So the stories about it being a shoot aren't exactly true or untrue. Everyone in the company swears pillar got out of control and it wasn't all scripted. The confrontation was planned. Jarrett and pillar were supposed to shove each other, but supposedly nobody was supposed to hop the rail. A source within the football camp confirmed the story we'd heard from the wrestling side that an angle was planned out and put together. I believe laid out by Jason Jarrett involving shoving, but that's where it was supposed to end. The idea was for the shoving match and the players wouldn't lose lose face is that malice would attack Jarrett and take him away while they were still there sitting pillar had been drinking. And most didn't feel he didn't want to be shown up. So he hopped the rail and totally overpowered Jeff. Like it was nothing, which isn't a position you theoretically want your top guy on unless it leads to a match or footage on sports center, which as it turned out happened the next night. Since this group is desperate for a publicity breakthrough like that, it's very possible that this was all an inside work. And then only a few people were in on, but now I'm doubting that. What is for sure is that if it was, and it was all agreed upon, virtually nobody was in on it in the company. Ron Harris, who works backstage was about to hit the ring to save Jeff. For example, malice, who also wasn't clued in, wasn't supposed to touch the football players and only go after Jarrett, but instead he went after the players and broke it up real fast. Russo used to pull this stuff in WCW and it was his first night in. Pillar and the rest of the players after the angle went backstage after the show and was joking around with Jarrett. Several people saw through similar fake shoots in WCW and bought this one. It kind of felt Pillar was just drinking and got carried away, kind of ribbing on Jarrett on live TV, and that's what caused the incident. Miller claimed the whole thing was set up and that they were supposed to throw blows and make the segment look as real as possible. All pro tight end Frank Wycheck, the tackle Jason Matthews watched along with a third guy who jumped in. That was lineman Barry Hall, who also threw fake punches. All are big wrestling fans, and Wycheck once drove a local sports talk guy crazy when he talked about going to WrestleMania. Titans GM Floyd Reese was upset about them being involved because of the injury risk, and all the players recognized they're not allowed to follow up on the angle. The original plan was not to build a match out of the confrontation, but when it got so much publicity, there was talk the next day of seeing if they could do something because it's the kind of publicity this company desperately needs. Miller claimed he felt honored that people were calling it a shoot, but it wasn't that it was staged and he wanted to make sure nobody would be hurt. However, one of the players involved privately said nobody was supposed to jump the rail, but pillar and Miller did. So lots to unpack here. What was planned? What wasn't planned? Uh, talk us through it. Oh man, Conrad! You know, as a fan, when you try to like uh, mansplaining, yep, you try to explain why we love professional wrestling. This is it, the, 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 because you just can't put your like. There's no way that oh that's that really happened. You, you this is one of those incidences that I to this day. It's why I love our industry Yeah, because you just, you can't script it. You can't deliver it. We're still talking about it. The things that came out of it. 
everybody's positioning. I love Fred Miller saying, oh, it was supposed to happen. That is, let me cover for my teammate's ass. Of course. I mean, of course. It, I mean, you could just look at all the, you know, now we're talking 20 years later, but when it happened, and here's something that uh, I believe a fan just jumped uh, AEW recently. Yeah. Chatter about that. But look, through the years, being a heel, I could tell you story after story after story that no matter how much you tell people to them, to their, like, just really calm, like, I'm going to come do this, or this is going to happen here. But in the heat of the moment, when I looked at my man, my buddy, Zach Pillar, when I looked him in the eye, and you can go back and look at the tape and hear all this, but when I laid the words in, I'm a winner and you're a loser and you choked at the Super Bowl. Oh, that cut so deep to those guys <laughs> because they were on the field and they were one yard short. Yes. So, you know, and probably definitely wrongly. So they, but the weight of the loss at the super bowl, I'm sure stuck in their crawl. Of course. I mean, they great year, great team. But w- when I said that line, Oh, Zach and rumor in Indian Joe, hypothetically, he might've had a couple of cocktails and dipped the canoe yep. er- early that afternoon. <laughs> but my brother, uh, Jason, is the one who got in their seats. But when I said that, Zach just couldn't take it. And I'll say this, God rest Jerry Toots' soul, malice. If the chips are down and you got somebody to watch your back, you go back, folks, and do the watch along. He knocked the hell out of Fred Miller. And, and <laughs> Fred, if that was scripted. Because if it was, then because I thought about that back then. If it was all scripted, Fred, you just put yourself in a position to Jerry. To, look, I'm, I'm maybe 220. Toot was 280 and blindsided him like a chop block, like he ain't never been hit before. So the whole thing just got completely out of hand because Zach, and you can watch the tape back. It's like, oh man, he's really, oh no, Zach, don't do this. Don't do this. Oh, he's over the rail. And we're going, I'm like, I mean, yes, you ever been manhandled? Uh, that guy, I mean, because I'm like, is he really doing this? And then, okay, I'm going to try to drive him back in the ring, and he's a, shit, 300-pound guy. I take my knee and try to put it in his uh, privates. Uh, you can look at that on Twitter as well, just to try to, like, sack, stop. And then Miller piled over, and then it just got completely out of hand. I'm like, this is Oh my God. And then the dressing room emptied and, and Jerry Toot blasted ass and you'll see him. He wanted to grab me and say, let's go. And he got me and we got the hell out of there. And Harley came down and the whole dressing room emptied and it was a wild melee and Ron Harris and others, they didn't know what was going on because like they knew that wasn't supposed to happen. But again, I go back to what I originally said. It's one of those things that happens in our industry that you go, man, that was great. <laughs> I don't care if it was scripted or not scripted. It was great, entertaining TV. But when we got to the back, me and Wycheck knew shit's going down. It was not a good scene. I'll stop there and let you ask questions. You're running the show here. but No, 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 no. We, we, we knew immediately that uh, damage control for those guys, it's not a good scene. You know, in my brain, I'm thinking, Dixie, boy, have we got a clip to service now. Uh, let, let's run with it. You know, on our side, it was a grand slam. I knew that. But on my personal side with Frank and the Titans and Boyd Reese and the positioning, I I, I knew then. I, I, I said, this ain't good for those guys at all. 
So you said something there. We need to circle back to, you said, oh, I knew we had something for Dixie Dixie. We got Bob. What was Dixie doing for you at the time? Cause, cause Dixie's not an owner at this point. So this was what maybe her third show ever. <laughs> and, and the Tennessee Titans, you know, obviously, you know, a, a national franchise in the NFL. And we've got a clip of their players getting involved with our whole roster and it's out of season for the NFL. So they don't have, excuse me, they don't have highlights to play. You know, th- this is a clip that immediately will be serviced to every NFL beat writer and talk show host and sports center host and whatever it is. It, it was a clip that um, not because it was such a great clip, although it really is a good clip. It's because it was out of season in, in talk. You know, there's only so many things you can show with, yes. with a, an out route at, at, at preseason. This was some action that you could talk over. It, it just, it was immediately newsworthy. And Dixie was the PR agent. Tremendous stuff. Um, you, you started to say we got backstage and Frank Wycheck, you know, tell us what, what the mood is afterwards backstage. And Frank could not quit apologizing uh, enough. Like he just like, Oh my God, Jeff, I'm so sorry. I, I mean, look, Zach tossed me around like a dish rack. I mean, it, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say that at all. He, he's a in shape, um, in, in camp offensive lineman who, um, I was at the end of my work day and let's just say Zach was just getting his party started or, or his party was in midstream. Uh, and he was amped up and he tossed me around and it got wild. And, and, you know, Frank smart guy, he knew that the whole dressing room emptied and that wasn't supposed to happen. He knew that and Frank probably took it a little bit too far in his mind that they disrupted the entire show. When we went off there, Frank wasn't, seasoned or skilled enough to know shit. We just gave them a hell of a segment. So yeah, just like Frank, it's cool. We're, we're good, but you know, Zach's in trouble. And look, Zach was seven sheets and feeling no pain and loving it and hugging and high-fiving. And I'm sure Fred Miller being the astute gentleman that he is like, Oh boy. Like, cause he was the captain. I recall he, he was the captain of the team, you know, so he's supposed to be uh leadership lead by example. It was, it was, it was such a beautiful mess in so many directions. Uh, but you know, backstage, um, I, I was happy from a businessman, but I, I knew Frank, uh, those guys were going to have a discussion and, and I was very hopeful. Where can this go PR wise? But again, let's just pump the brakes. It's a spice up angle that had really nothing to do as far as quote unquote, drawing money the following week, but it was great publicity for a startup company. We heard, uh, Dave Meltzer say, oh, this sort of work shoot shit. This is what Russo did. And look, he did it in his first night here. None of that's real, right? That's just no. jumping to conclusions. Uh, don't get mad at me. We promise you it, it's complete fiction. It, it would, that what happened was, um, I'll say this from experience. What happened was a direct, I mean, when I tell you this, a direct result of too much alcohol. Yeah. I was going to say it's alcohol. Yeah. Yes. It's a direct result. But my God, you knew as it's happening, I'm sure you're thinking, boy, if I can get out of this, not hurt, this is going to be big. 
Yeah, no, for, that is what I thought. Yeah, I was so happy to see Jerry, and and to the day he died, I, but because he laughed and cut up, but he's like he knew. Look, he said he was sitting there watching the monitor. He's a football fan. You know, yeah, he knew when Zach stumbled coming over the deal. Zach was pissed. You can go. I mean, Zach, Zach was not happy. Is he going to beat me up? No, but he didn't like me saying this, so he's going to have some fun with it. Well, and also too, you know, he doesn't. You know, wrestling again, I don't know shit about wrestling, but wrestling is sort of built on trust between two professionals. I can trust you with my body type deal. This guy's never trained for any of that. The only thing he's been trained to do is inflict pain for real. Like, yeah, he talks me like a rag doll to uh, wall said it. Matt, he says, I knew when he slung you, I mean, you can, you can watch it. Didn't, I mean, Jerry's coming from a monitor backstage down the ramp out and around the ring, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, Tell you what, I've said it many, many times. He's the guy you want on your side uh, when the chips are down because he stepped right up and went to war. Uh, but it was a. Uh, and by the way, it, again, I appreciate it. this is not supposed to be part of the show. And you hit a motherfucker with a chair. <laughs> you love that, don't you? I mean, it was total chaos. I'll say this my Moondog Battle Rolls from 1990 and 91 came in handy because I, I immediately, uh, tried to do my best recovery and get away and find the closest chair and start swinging it from the torch here. The incident with the Titans garnered TNA quite a bit of mainstream publicity. Several newscasts across the country show clips of the incident with uh, mention with some mentioning the TNA Wednesday night program, a late night West coast edition of ESPN sports center also showed the clip and several newspapers also mentioned the incident. The publicity from this in a weird way is one of the most important things that ever happened to TNA. Fair to say. Absolutely fair to say. So let's talk about what the reaction and reception was locally. Obviously when you've got an NFL football team doing something again, to your point in off season, and I just want to add a little more context to that. Like, uh, great friend of the show, Cole Kublik just started a new morning show in Birmingham with a former Alabama quarterback, Greg McElroy, and they're on the big sports station there in Birmingham, uh, the jocks. Here's the, the gimmick though. People who are listening to that show in Birmingham, guess what they want to talk about in July. Same thing. They want to talk about in January and in April and in September football. There's only so much of that content. You can literally fish out of thin air when nobody's practicing, nobody's negotiating contracts. There's no game to recap last night. There's no game coming up five days from now. So you're just searching for content and this becomes the topic of conversation on sports talk radio nationwide, but it has to be at a fever pitch in Nashville. And of course in Nashville, everybody listens to one Oh four, five. The zone back then, I don't think one Oh two five, the game was around, but it at the time was arguably, I don't even think it's arguable. It was the largest sports station in the country. As far as the, the percentage of the audience that listened to that station. And here you are in the middle of it, the hometown team at a hometown show. And now it's being discussed on the biggest radio show around. It's a big dog on deal locally, right? Huge. And, and you have to live in Nashville to sort of understand the sports placement in the community, because 
Prior to the Titans and the Predators, we were a college town. Vanderbilt, there's a local, you know, Lipscomb and Belmont, some schools some folks have never heard of. But it was a lots of college basketball, lots of college football, just college sports all around. Early 90s, the Titans come on board, huge. Then the Preds, and that was a game changer. Two sports franchises in a town that never had it. The college scene was still hot. Um, and so, you know, we're also music city, so lots of music everywhere. But the sports talk station created that niche. There's a guy named George Plaster. There, there were some some names that were just household names. And then, like you said, we, we're coming off of uh, any NFL cities out there realize when you get to the Super Bowl and don't win – and it's your first time there and only time. It was just huge news. And and this was the core of the team. Um, really looking forward to the season to come. Uh, it was just Titans were on the city in so many different ways. Uh, it was front page of the Nashville, uh, the, the Tennessean, the, our, our local paper. It was every talk show, every just a buzz going around, um, you know, obviously before Twitter and, and all that. But I mean, Everywhere you went, it, that was the talk of the town uh, in, in, in such a, I don't want to say a positive way, but it, it was so newsworthy. Nobody got hurt. Hey, there's our guys. That's our offensive line. They're there together as a unit. Um, and, you know, the, the, the sort of the byline or, uh, you know, they, you know, not a lot of, it was the clip, but, oh man, the Titans went down to the wrestling and kicked everybody's ass. That's sort of the story that came out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you watch a clip, okay, it was a little brawl. But as the story grew in stature, it was the the, the the Titans offensive line, it's the fish story. Yes. By the end of the story, they beat up the entire locker room and, and, um, and came out victorious, and their coaches are mad. But, man, we can't wait till game one. I mean, it's that deal. You know, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about Jeff starting a new wrestling company. We all know that starting something new can be nerve-wracking. Wouldn't you like to know beforehand whether it was going to work out or not? Well, Credit Karma can give you more confidence before you make a decision. Credit Karma's game-changing technology shows you tailored offers for credit cards and personal loans that you're more likely to be approved for, so you can apply with more confidence. They use your credit and other financial information to show you custom recommendations. Whether you want cash back, travel rewards, or to consolidate debt, Credit Karma can help you find the offers that fit your goals. With a selection of options and approval odds, you have the power to make informed decisions. Credit Karma, apply with confidence. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast to learn more and find tailored offers just for you. That's creditkarma.com slash podcast or you can see your offers on the Credit Karma app. Apply with confidence today. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast or the Credit Karma app. You'd be glad you did. So talk to me a little bit about, well, before we talk about that, I do want to just add context to what we're talking about. You want to talk about highs and lows. I, I think you should go start a wrestling company if you really want to experience them. You're on a high because this is the way you close the show. You've got Super Bowl athletes getting involved. You're going to be all over every newspaper, radio station, whatever, every sports section around, even sports center, which at the time is a lot bigger than it is now. Yeah. And you're one week removed from being told, 
Oh yeah. Uh, you haven't made any money. In fact, you've lost it all. We had our numbers wrong. That's one week apart. <laughs> like the, you know, Oh God, I'm, I'm destitute. We've lost all of our money. What are we going to do? Shit. We got to cut every cost we can, man. Maybe we just got to get a life raft and get out of here. Holy shit. I'm on ESPN and everywhere else. Seven days later. That's unbelievable. Jeff. Yeah. Wow. When you put it in that context, um, and that was, well, it, it, I mean, it just sort of, I, 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 you know, I can't even say that it just goes with the territory of growing up in, in this wacky business, but no, it was something that, um, my upbringing, I, I will say that, and look, I'm, uh, hindsight's 2020 and looking back to over 20 years ago, but knowing I'm in it for the long haul, uh, this is prior to the Scrooge situation. Let's talk uh, about that. I know we're going to circle back at some point. Scrooge still involved. Are you yes. having conversations with him about the Titans? Does he send you a text? Do you give him a call? You know, I don't know, say the next day, but we certainly sent him the clip and, Hey, this is what your investment idea, you know, that, that type, uh, here, here's the buzz out of it, but not making it because you, you know, we, I didn't know what was to come out of this angle. I, I really thought, okay, we did it you know, the following day and we're going to milk it. But by the time the next show came around, we're not getting the Titans in a match. We had moved on. I didn't know how it was going to play into the future of TNA, which we'll get to when you want to. But I, I, at that point it was okay. Great angle, great spice up. It wasn't even formatted, but the, the story of Jeff bitching about not getting a title shot, that was another layer of the onion that we can add to it, but let's move on and let's get into uh, well, we're, we're moving to the fairgrounds. We got to build out that studio and Keith Mitchell, you, you got to make sure, you know, I'm in those conversations on how we're going to shoot the studio versus Minnesota auditorium. And, you know, there were so many other things going on and talent coming in and, you know, obviously our budgets, we were trying to figure that out. It's going to go weekly. I mean, there were so many different things on the horizon. I didn't really, not that I should have soak in uh, the moment, but uh, by uh, probably 48 hours by the following Monday or Tuesday, the Titan story was over and gone. So the high was over by the weekend. Let's, uh, let's fast forward a little bit. We know that eventually the Richard Scrooge thing is going to become a thing. And I just want to add context to what we're talking about there. Health South has been writing checks and you essentially have a line of credit. And you can get a, a quote unquote draw against it. And we've broken all that down in our prior episodes. So if any of that's confusing, go check the archives, but eventually the money train from Birmingham comes to a stop. And in a weird way, the Tennessee Titans help save TNA explain. Hmm. Yeah. Like I just said, had I known the importance, I would have really hugged Frank Wycheck and Zach Piller and Fred Miller. Uh, but we uh, did a show and we'll get the dates, but it was going into, um, so that would have been, oh gosh, kind of around the 17th of the 24th of August. Uh, no, anyway, let's just say mid-August for, 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 we'll get that later. But when I got the call uh, from Health South that not only were they not funding Last night's show, we're not going to fund the prior week's show. The line of credit was over. Hell South was um, in big trouble with the, you know, with the federal government and all that. 
I uh, said, okay, I'm going to take this massive knockout blow on the chin. And I went to all of my vendors, uh, you know, you name it, uh, production. I mean, whoever was owed money to, that was the uh, accounts uh, payable in the 30 days, whatever whatever that whole list was, the people that I could go meet with, I didn't want to do this by phone call. Um, I just didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to go meet with him. So I, I went, went around, uh, and one of those meetings was with Trifecta Entertainment, Dixie Carter and Andy Barton. And so I said, called them, I said, hey, I need to meet with you um, urgent and, and to give you uh, some information. So I, I went in and had the conversation and told Dixie and Andy, not only uh, are we in financial trouble from last night's show or two days ago show, whatever it may be, uh, but the following week. So we are give me 30 days and I'm going to uh, get us some new funding. Uh, but if you'll have a little patience with me and everybody that I went and had the conversation. Conrad, this is where you just and you talk about fate or divine intervention or all the above. Yeah. Just all that. But I was upfront about it and said, we lost our funding, but I had immediately uh, started, you know, from Don King, I I, I started. Okay. We'll say turning over rocks from financials. And I had that conversation with Dixie and Dixie said, do you have any financial materials? And I said, matter of fact, we're in the process of putting that together. And she said, if you can get those to me, um, I think I might be able to help out. Okay. I had no idea who Panda was, who Bob Carter was. Dixie Carter and Andy Barton ran Trifecta Entertainment, and they were the PR agent for TNA Entertainment. That that was the relationship. And so um, I said, sure. And I said, yeah, you mind sharing? Who, what do you think? She, she went into it. My father, they're in the energy business, but they're always looking for outside, outside investments. And uh, I'd like to ha- have this. You know, I'd like to have this. I'm going out uh, to the ranch uh, with, my, with my parents this weekend, Labor Day weekend, 2002. I'm going out there, and I'd like to be able to share something. So uh, I said, sure. Uh, so had some financials. Uh, whatever it may be. Time out. Uh, Let me add context again. This is mid July when the whole Tennessee Titans thing happened. Yes. And Dixie's going to present this financial package the weekend of Monday, September 2nd. So less than two months later. Yeah. That's six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I was going to go uh, anyways, they went out, had the weekend Labor Day weekend. They do it every year. Um, around the holidays, uh, Dixie and, and Serge and her family at this time, no kids, uh, but they would fly out, um, and, and spend holidays with Bob and Janice and Todd and his family, the, the Carter family. And so they went out and had that weekend and uh, got a call and said, do you think you could be in Dallas this week? And, uh, this is the week following Labor Day. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah. If, if we're looking for, uh, financing, uh, absolutely. So me and my father and Bob Ryder, um, we put together the, the financials and cause I had with, with my finance guys, they had, you know, experience and they could put that together. And then we were going to put together basically 
a PR pack, if you will, of our two month existence. And uh, obviously at the very top of this, you've got Toby Keith and you've got NASCAR and you got Hermie Sadler and you got the Minnesota Auditorium. Oh, and you've got this thing, uh, uh, an actual newspaper clipping. Cause we had Toby kind of material. We, we had all the different things outside the box of wrestling uh, that we had put together. And when you think about, you know, in, in eight weeks, we, we did have, we did check some boxes. Toby Keith, so, Hermie Sadler, Sterling Marlin. Yeah. yeah. Big stuff. Uh, athletes anyway. So, uh, put, put all that together. And I remember me and Bob, um, uh, taking the rental car to a Kinko's, uh, out in grapevine, Texas, uh, by DFW airport to sort of put all this together images and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, flew out there, um, and, uh, got all, you know, got all the materials ready, uh, went in, uh, in Dallas and met with Bob and his team. And obviously Dixie, uh, was there and, you know, started the meeting and had the conversation and the nuts and bolts and the financing. And this happened on episode one and we're professional wrestling. Again, Bob Carter didn't have any concept. Yeah. It was WWE, yeah. you know, it, it, it was comparable. So what's WWE. Okay. Here's a publicly traded company. Uh, wow. Look at these revenues. Look at this. Look, you know, it was, 2002 WWE financials, they'd been public, you know, whatever it may be, two years. Uh, so a couple of years. And, and that's the circles, you know, Panda Energy International, massive energy company, really, really big in their space. Uh, but, you know, they weren't in the entertainment world. So we gave them the, the, the pitch. And as a part of that pitch was the physical copy of the Tennessean article of the Titans kicking ass. And as we go through the meeting uh, and, you know, after I spoke and my father spoke and I'm sure Bob, you know, don't remember all the specifics, but after we generally gave our presentation, obviously you sort of open up to the give and take of, you know, their attorneys were asking questions and Dixie uh, was, you know, given context and given her thoughts and everybody, it, it became an open discussion, but Bob Carter being the chairman sat at the end of the table he uh, just sort of sat back in his chair and I noticed him reading this article and flipping through it. And then he would take a break from it and sort of listen in. And then when he'd say something, tell me a little bit more about this Titans deal. <laughs> tell me a little bit more about this Titans deal. So I'd go into it and I don't want to rehash it, but Conrad, it's a lot of what we just talked about. Yeah. Well, Bob, it, it really wasn't scripted. Oh, come on, Jeff. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it was walking him through sort of, the, the, the David Copperfield, if you will, how did we make this magic potion? Well, Bob, we really didn't. This just happened. And then he'd go back to reading the article. And then there was pictures and, and the thought press. And look, he's from Dallas, so he's well aware that the Houstons and, and the Houston ownership moved to Memphis and the city of Houston. And look, Bob's a Texan, so he's yeah. a cowboy and, and the Houston Texans and he understood all the business and the mechanics and certainly well aware of the NFL, but how it all sort of went down and those conversations. And we would continue talking about, I don't know, Toby Keith or cause he's an Oklahoma guy and Ogies and Texans don't like each other, but no, having the wrestling conversation and just the business, but Bob kept referencing this Titans article and he was very enamored by it. And toward the end of the meeting, he got up, took the newspaper put it under his arm and he got up and left with the okay. newspaper, with the newspaper, 
with the newspaper. Well, I found out later he shared that with his few folks when, when he left. But as we're sitting there, the conversation goes from, you know, I don't know, one hour to two hour to, to maybe three hours. And I know that we have our flight booked that afternoon and Dixie did as well and all that. And then next thing you know, Bob uh, sticks his head in and um, calls me out in the hall and, and, and there was somebody else in anyway, but the specifics went down with, Hey, uh, we really like this. We've still got to work through some things with lawyers and all this, but uh, you don't mind if we send you guys back on the, the private uh, plane. No, sir. That'll be fine. Thank you. <laughs> so going back to your early conversation, uh, do, how long do you think it took me to answer? Wait, you want us to fly private like today? Like we don't have to go back to DFW. Uh, but no, that was, um, that is, and I loved how, when you were laying this out, Conrad, how the Titan saved TNA, you, you knew where you were going with this because you had heard just the bits and pieces of the story, but yeah. that all sort of worked in. Um, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget getting on that plane thinking to myself, I will be damn. I can't wait to tell Frank why I checked this story. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but eventually we all give it up because we realize it's full of sugar and junk. We shouldn't be eating. Not anymore. Magic spoon to the rescue, baby. But check these notes out. Zero grams of sugar. What? Zero grams of sugar. 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. In fact, it's only 140 calories per serving. It's keto friendly. It's gluten free. It's grain free. It's soy free. It's low carb. It's GMO free. And they even have a variety pack. Check these flavors out, daddy. It's cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And every now and again, I become a little uh, evil genius in the kitchen. What if you combined cocoa and peanut butter? It tastes exactly like a peanut butter cup and it's not bad for you and it tastes fantastic. You don't have to sacrifice taste in order to eat better. You can have a guilt-free bowl of cereal. Thanks to magic spoon. Check it out. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash my world and grab this variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code, my world to check out, to save $5 off your order. And magic spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next bowl of delicious guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash my world. And remember to use that promo code, my world to save $5 off. Thank you. Magic spoon for sponsoring this episode and a fantastic breakfast. It's magicspoon.com slash my world promo code, my world. And I'll never forget when you, you know, I've had fun getting to know you and hang out and just sort of pick your brain. And, uh, I take you to our favorite meeting three here in Huntsville and you're devouring a whole fried chicken and I'm just picking your brain saying, Hey, what about when? And then I asked, how did that whole Bob Carter thing come to be? And in between chicken bites, you're like, Oh, that Titans deal. That did it. And I'm like, <laughs> Titans deal. Yeah. I remember when I hit Frank white with the chair. Yeah. It was in the paper and he was all about it. I'm, hang on, hang on. <laughs> what now? But I, I do want to add some context. And, and again, I'm not trying to villainize the Carters at all. And, and you and I are going to talk a lot about them moving forward. I'm sure as we sort of talk about their time and your time with TNA, but I don't think they get enough credit for all the good they did 
for not just wrestling fans, but folks in the industry, a lot of guys were given opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise without them. And I, I think it's unfortunate that it's become an LOL TNA type thing. Anytime impact does anything, there's a bunch of boo birds out there, but it's a bunch of hardworking guys and gals chasing their wrestling dream. And for a lot of years, the Carters funded those dreams out of their own pocket. And I think they should be commended for that. Instead, wrestling fans online, sometimes villainize it. And it's almost, I almost read it. Like, do you hate wrestling? Because if there's a billionaire who's willing to write checks for wrestling, why shouldn't we just appreciate that? That gives the people we say we care about and we're fans of more opportunity to provide for their family, but also it gives us more variety and more options to choose from. All right. Now that I got my preamble out of the way, Bob Carter became a billionaire quietly behind the scenes. He was in a, almost a utility line of work. I mean, he he's not in the quote unquote showbiz at all. And this may have been an opportunity for him to do something fun, brush up against something and use some of that mountain of cash that he's amassed over the years. And the idea that he could be involved with something that brushed up against the NFL and made the front page of the paper and was on sports center. That was intriguing to him because that was seemingly something that money couldn't buy. And again, I've never met Mr. Carter, but I understand, Hey man, rich dudes, they want a yacht. guess what they'll go do today. Just buy one. Hey man, my wife wants to go to Paris for supper. Well, let's load the jet. Let's go. But if we wanted to brush up against the NFL and make the front page of the paper, that's not something you can just go do and write a check for, but he saw an opportunity here and he jumped at it. Is my read wrong? No. And, and you, you talk about, get, it, it's funny how you said the TNA LOL and, and that'll come in later podcasts when, when it became that, I, I think I, I've got a, cause I've had multiple discussions with different folks of when actually the worm really turned that, that, that. It came much, much later, but Bob, um, you know, and here's some Conrad, I don't think, you know, Bob didn't make his big money till after he turned 50 years of age. Oh, wow. It's when you, when you think about the the risk versus reward, he's a Texas wildcatter. Um, he don't mind taking risk and you just sort of really put it eloquently about, okay, I have made a fortune building power plants. Yes. 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 and Energy International literally built power plants, not just in the United States, all over the globe. Yeah. Germany, China. I mean, just that's what he did, where land was uh, plenty and and you had to have wind and rain. I mean, rivers and water and all this kind of stuff. Bob is brilliant. And he saw that opportunity. And the comparable, as we say in real estate, as you say in real estate, you know, of the WWE, there was the only one. That's the only publicly traded company that Jeff is there space. And like, certainly, I mean, look at AEW right now. I mean, yeah. there's space in the marketplace. Yeah. Bob looked at that and okay, we're going to be smart about this. But, um, I mean, people used to say, Oh man, Bob Carter's fun. You know how many times, not just him, many, many billionaires get into business and write off risk that they take. That's how they became, in a lot of ways, super wealthy. They're not afraid to take a risk. 
Now it's calculated and you got to think it through and you got to know when to pull the plug, you, you, just all the things that go into business. Also too, it's worth mentioning. And I'm not saying that this is what it is, but this happens. You got this business over here. We'll call it business. A that's making billions of dollars a year. And you're going to have to write a massive check for taxes, or we could go open business B and it might not be as profitable as business. A hell it might even lose some money, but I was going to have to write that tax check for business a anyway. So if I can write up smaller tax check and actually have a little fun instead of just writing a check and giving it all away. That might not be the worst idea ever, right? Absolutely. And when you look at the, the, the complete stories we're going to get in in the, the months to come, it was such a minute amount in the grand scheme of things. Yes. In the grand scheme of things. But yes, so so Bob uh, saw an opportunity. I'm so grateful he did. A lot of people, what if, you know, I often thought because we, we had several conversations with the Don King family and and what if there that just so many different things, but Bob really took that leap. And it goes without saying his daughter could be into equity, uh, of a, uh, in the entertainment business. So Bob brilliant, great heart of a man. And I, I, I often have thought in that meeting, what, really role, what role did the Titan deal? Cause he was enamored by it. Hell, I, we're talking about it to this day Yeah. because watch it. Cause we had it. Oh, I'm leaving that out too. We had video clip of that as well that we played on the screen. We turned the lights off and said, Hey, here's a highlight reel of Toby. Here's a highlight reel of Hermie actually having a match. Yeah. You, oh, you had a sizzle reel. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, so all that being said, it goes into a fascinating, um, jumping off point for Panda to get into the, uh, sports entertainment industry, so to speak. Such a great story. I know it's uh, another TNA story, but I just love, you know, the behind the scenes of, of how all of this came to be and how, if one little thing didn't happen, it might not happen. I mean, let's appreciate again, the context of the timing here a week ago. We have the rug pulled out from under us on the whole TNA. We were lied to about the number of pay-per-view buys Jay Hossman story. Now we do this Tennessee Titans thing that we think will be a nice little way to go off the air. And oh my God, it doesn't go according to planned and things are real scary for a minute, but wait a minute, we lived and it's everywhere. And then we fast forward a few more weeks and Hey, now, not only did you not sell as many pay-per-views as you could have, or thought you did. But your funding's gone. Your, your angel investor is gone. And somehow this crazy Tennessee Titans thing is the thing that perhaps saves the company. I mean, in hindsight, cause that is the thing, you know, you never know when you're quote unquote pitching, when you're selling, what's somebody's hot button, what are they going to bite on? What's going to get this deal done? What's their angle? What are they interested in? If we know what you're interested in, then it's easier to, you know, cater our pitch and sell you. But if we don't know, now we've just sort of got to guess. And I'm curious if the Titans thing hadn't happened, it's not necessarily a lock that Bob Carter would have bit, right? So coming in to sit down and I'm trying to do my best to be a, uh, 
a, a good podcaster, if you will, Conrad, because you're, you're going to heat. You're, you're going to. So I, I really have tried to be prepared and the what ifs. But I think there's two things that really go into, look, the, the, the father daughter relationship goes without saying. But the Titans thing, being able to, to, to the context that all that happened in the Minnesota Auditorium and all that. So that happened in July. We, we literally had six weeks, and if you think about going into the meeting with the Carters, how we literally said, okay, here's a budget, about hundred grand a week. Okay, so that's $5.2 million a year if we don't make anything. And I'm, I'm really brushing over broad numbers. But it happened in July in a municipal auditorium. It gave us around a month to manage our costs, get in a fixed studio. Mr. Carter – Here's the blueprint of what we're spending over the next year. And so walking in with, with all the sizzle of Titans and Toby and all that, but wow, the NFL really checked the box with Bob, but also the managed cost, the fixed cost here, here, we want to get into this space and, and look, here's the comparable of WWE. It's, it's really fascinating to look back on all these years later and, and, and see the role that, 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 and the timing, because, just the timing of everything. It, it's, it's just, it's really fascinating. I am curious. I'll let you go the whole episode without busting your balls about it, but I am curious. Here we go. Do you feel it a little guilty all these years later showing WWE as a comparable? Oh gosh. No, no. Okay. Absolutely not. Let me ask you, do you think Tony Khan went to Shad? And didn't show WWE as a comparable. I don't think Tony Khan pitched WWE as a comparable now. Okay. Interesting. I, I don't know that. I'm yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's a point of reference to a non-wrestling person. How else do you lay out a financial? No, I get that. But the idea that you feel like, because the, you know, when we're saying comparable in the mortgage and, and real estate and appraisal business, we, we shorten it to comp. If you're going to use WWE as a comp, you're almost in, insinuating. Now this is what's possible. And oh, while- no, no, no. okay. Okay. Let me clarify that because even, uh, in, in deep discussions as the, the, the days and months went along is that we used, uh, in a lot of references, a, a 10 to one. WWE. I see. So they would be 10 X. So if we, we're, we're going to hope to do 10% of what they're doing. Yes. Yes. I, that, I, I never went outside the box and say, we're going to be number one ever in my history. I never said then. And I always sort of classified it or, or cached it with Vince has a, you can say what it is. A 40 year head start is when his father's promotion sure, or sure. Uh, WrestleMania one was his head start, whatever it is, just ingrained in the cable television industry, the pay-per-view industry, whatever it may be, a, a gigantic head start. And, and then not just head start. It's, it's that, that they're first in the space, uh, in so many ways, but the comparable being, and I use this a lot of times, the different revenue streams, we can have the same amount of revenue streams, right. just subtract four, five zeros. That's what I, told Bob and Bob asked about never. We were going to be equal. I got you. So this yeah. is how you make money in wrestling, but we're going to make a fraction of a fraction of what they do. That makes yes. sense to me. Yes, for sure. Well, listen, this has been fun. I, uh, I don't know why, but I think I enjoyed this better than some of our 
more recent episodes, because I'm just fascinated with the whole, what if piece of the entire industry. And, uh, this is a big, what if next week though, we're, uh, we're doing something a little different. We're going to talk about the WWF we've, uh, we've talked about a lot of TNA so far, but I know a lot of our listeners have, have enjoyed it, but just as many, I think are ready for us to talk about something else. Well, that's happening next week. We're going to talk about in your house too, and how you made the decision to walk out on Vince McMahon. Yeah. It happened more than once boys and girls. I'm not talking about the China deal. I'm talking about fresh off of the intercontinental championship run. What do you think we might talk about? Give us a tease. Give us a taste, Jeff. When we talk about uh, you walking out on Vince next week. Just, and I'll just skip back just a little bit. You were talking about the TNA. And then last week we talked about WCW and next week, WWF at 95. I, I like the rhythm. Yep. Uh, I, I call it the rhythm. Yeah. Because the startup of a wrestling company isn't really a, a, a Tennessee Titans episode either. Right. It's the same thing as TNA. So no, I like the rhythm. Um, next week, I, I, I think going into the timing of the walkout, the respect I have to this day for Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall uh, and, and, and Kevin Nash. And that's who we, I was traveling with day in, day out. Scott, Kevin, um, me, Road Dog. Uh, you know, that, that was, you know, I, we were traveling together and, and the respect I had for, you know, I'll say the intercontinental title, um, the respect I had for Vince McMahon, uh, me coming into my own uh, of a character. I knew, uh, well, anybody knew me and Brian got red hot from January. And now we're going to split it up in July. Wow. You know, the, the, the mindset of we're going to yank the rug out from under me and Brian in six months. And it took me, it took us, you know, collectively a year to build double J and we were just getting going. You know, I just felt it was so premature. My lack of communication. I'll say that, um, just a God almighty, a ball buster, but learn, learn and live and learn. Um, and then you just sort of th- that night, the, the, uh, I'll tell you what, Rene Goulet chasing road dog around, wanting him to take a test and it wasn't a math test. And (laughs) that go, go with it. But yeah, that's, it's a, it's a story. And I've certainly never gone into detail. Like I'll go next week just because I, I didn't think it was the platform or, but now that you've given me the opportunity and look, we're going to have an hour or two hours or for God's sakes, if I go on too many sidebars, three hours. No, we won't. We love, we love your sidebars. I mean, I know, I know the internet chastise me. You chastise me. Well, (laughs) occasionally it gets a little out there because (laughs) here's the thing. I, I like what I call, I speak Jeff, but I think a lot of our listeners are, they're learning how to speak Jeff. So sometimes I'll I'll say, Hey, hang on now, circle back. You know, like when we talked about the booker. And, uh, and the writer today, but listen, this was fun. I enjoyed today's episode a lot. I think it's such a a fascinating story of, of perseverance and of opportunity. And I don't know, it's been fun talking about TNA, but I am excited to talk about, uh, another, uh, Hmm. another moment in time next week, (laughs) because listen, I think a lot of this, you know, we're having fun here and certainly I mean, I think our podcasts are probably like infotainment. We're going to give you some information, but we're also going to try to entertain you. But I think next week, I mean, you, 
you're honest enough with yourself to look back and say, boy, I didn't communicate. Well, I mean, even when you and I first started talking, you were like, listen, I've learned to over communicate, blah, blah, blah. I just think you looking back and saying, "Mm, wish I had that to do over again in certain instances, that's going to make for a compelling show. So I'm excited about next week. And, and one other thing, the, the live performance of singing the song, uh, the lip singing the song, or however you want to say it, that, that in a lot of ways, I, I, here's this kid from Nashville and I'm getting to perform this song in front of a pay-per-view audience, but in my hometown with a real live band, I was so amped just to do that, let alone go out and tear the house down with Sean. I mean, you know, there, it was, it was really a big, big night in my career. And I was a kid and we're going to break it down next week. And yes, I will be busting his balls. Don't miss it. We'll be back next week, right here on my world. Peace. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.